and welcome to episode 47 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Tonight, we are recording on September 5th. I cannot believe it's September already. We're recording on September 5th, 2017. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. And with me, as always, is the other half of this podcast, Mr. Brad Galloway, who is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am doing good, and I dare say that our listeners are in for a real treat tonight, Corey, my friend, because tonight you are going to get Brad Galloway uncut and uncensored because I am 100% unprepared, and we're just going to go ahead and see what happens. Oh, dear. Um, well, I know probably one of the reasons why you're a little bit on edge right now, but, uh, listeners, if you guys have not noticed, which I'm sure you have, um, we took a little detour from our usual uh, schedule. Usually Brad and I record on pretty late on Sunday nights, and then the show is up really, really early on Monday morning, if there are no technical difficulties. But we are doing a midweek show this week, and that is because PAX was in Seattle over the weekend. If you don't know what PAX is, it is the Penny Arcade Expo. It is a, uh, they do it in Seattle, they do it in Boston, they do it in Austin, is that right? Do they do it anywhere else? Yeah, do you know? yeah, I think so. they do it in Australia. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they do in Australia. I think there might even be one or two more. I mean, who knows what's next? That's like all over the fucking place. Huh. Well, PAX in Seattle is uh, definitely the biggest one. And the kind of the big thing about PAX is that it is a video game trade show, but anybody can go. As long as you can get a pass, you can go. And I mean, it's. I guess that's becoming less special these days because E3 did a consumer thing for the first time this year where anybody could go to instead of just, uh, you know, journalists and press people and publishers and all that stuff. But Brad was at PAX. He was hard at work providing on the ground coverage for this show and for game critics. And PAX was Friday through Monday. And Brad was there every single day to give us the juiciest details on upcoming games and developer interviews. Uh, Brad will give us some PAX updates later. And we're going to talk about games and stuff, too. But before we get in too deep, uh, we always get the show rolling with a little bit of unnecessary banter that is not necessarily game-related. If you want to skip our banter, I put timestamps in the show uh, so you can skip ahead. But funny story, before we do that, uh, last week we had Carlos Rodella on. Uh, thank you, Carlos, for coming on the show. I thought it was a great show. And I, for the first time since I've started doing timestamps, I've probably been doing timestamps for maybe like 10 or 15 shows so far. Um, I did not list them last week because we talked about so many games and some of the games we didn't spend a whole lot of time on and we kind of went back and forth from game to game and topic to topic really rapidly. So I didn't feel like putting, you know, 45 different timestamps in the show because sometimes we only talked about a game for like 30 seconds or something. And of course, the one time I didn't put timestamps in the show, somebody wrote in and complained. Go figure. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, on the plus side, not to be like a Pollyanna or anything, but somebody writing in uh, to complain about not having timestamps means that someone's actually listening to the show. Um, <laughs> I think they said that they just turned the show off because they didn't want to listen through our bullshit. So they uh, kind of missed out on that particular episode, which is too bad. But it does mean that in general, they do listen to the show and they do need our timestamps. So that means that the effort that we are going to, and especially your effort with the timestamps, is being appreciated. So I think 
if you look at it that way, that's kind of a good thing. That is true. That is true. At least every time when I'm marking down the times for the show and shaking my fist in the air after editing every show that I know that it's going to a good cause. Um, but I basically left them out last week because the big thing for timestamps was like people didn't, some people weren't interested in listening to the non-game related banter. And so that's kind of what started it. It was like I would put the timestamp for when we actually started the banter and then when we started talking about the games. And then I started putting timestamps in also for every video game topic we talked about, which is like a little, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I feel like that's a little bit like above and beyond maybe what I should be doing. Um, and I left him out last week because we didn't really do a whole lot of banter last week. Like Carlos introduced himself very briefly and then we kind of jumped right in on games. So I was like, well, you know, the main purpose of the timestamps is to kind of get people past the banter if they don't want to listen to it. And we didn't really banter that much last week. So I didn't think that was a big deal. Um, but I mean, whatever it is, what it is, the timestamps will be back this week uh, for sure. And Brad, like I mentioned before, you worked your ass off for coverage at PAX over the past like several days. Um, do you have, have you had time for anything else in your life since we last spoke or has it been 100% PAX? What have you been up to? Well, today is, what is today? When? No, Tuesday, right? Yes. I've, okay. So number one, I've lost track of my days. <laughs> I don't know what day it is. Uh, and I was at PAX yesterday, so, like, literally, this is the first day that I've not been at PAX, so it's been, like, the, the past four days in a row. Life has just kind of, like, crumbled and fallen apart. I mean, I am a bit of a creature of habit when it comes to things. I think that probably relates to me being uh, someone who owns his own business, and so, like, when you have that responsibility, you have to be really on top of all the things that you got to take care of, and it's, you know, no one's going to hold you cannibal except for you, and so I have a pretty good system worked out. And anytime something deviates me from that system, like everything just like falls apart like a giant house of cards and like stuff. Yeah, I forgot to pay my rent and forgot to pay my bills and hadn't eaten in a couple days and hadn't showered and <laughs> things just falling. It was just chaos, chaos and destruction. So um, today is my first day not at PAX, but I still do not feel like I'm up to speed. I need like another like one day to recover, which I didn't actually get. I'm just back to work immediately. So I'm still trying to find my footing, still trying to get back up to speed um and i think this show that we're doing now is probably the first thing that i've done that's kind of sort of getting me back on schedule even though we're doing it on a different night but still it's nice to be back doing something that we do every week getting back into the groove so I'm, i was definitely looking forward to this for sure good good i uh, i'm glad i know that i i've never been to a trade show or anything like that before but i can uh imagine that it would be kind of um intense to say the least Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been to many, and I, I really enjoy them. I know that it's kind of become cool within certain game critic circles to kind of, like, shit on the shows or say, like, they're so done and over. And, like, people, you know, a while ago, people were making a big deal about, like, not wanting to go or hating to go and, you know, kind of talking shit like that. But it's like, I mean, to be perfectly honest, doing something like this, like an E3 or a PAX or something, I mean, that's like a dream for, like, a lot of people. I mean, when I was young, I dreamed of going to E3. I think we even talked about this in the show earlier. And, you know, I got to go and do that, and I thought it was wonderful. I still have a good time. I still enjoy doing these things. Um, I don't necessarily know that I want to go for four days every single time. I think that maybe <laughs> I'm getting to the point where maybe half of the show would be fine because I'm getting pretty fucking efficient at covering the floor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I still enjoy it. I still have a lot of fun. It is pretty intense, though. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of people. If you have problems with crowds or noise or flashing lights, it's probably not the place for you. And to be perfectly honest... Um, I don't know that I would really enjoy going if I wasn't going as a 
games writer. I mean, I don't want to call myself a journalist. That's a whole other different discussion. I call myself kind of more of a games writer. Um, I don't think that I would want to go if I wasn't going as a writer because going as just like a regular game player, you don't get any of the backstage access. You don't usually get to talk to any of the creators. You don't get to skip the lines and the lines are so long. I mean, I'm not a line person in any respect. I don't wait in line for restaurants. I don't wait in line for anything. And I just, I don't want to do it at a games convention. So I really have enjoyed going to one of these things or many of these things as a games writer. Um, so it's a very special position, very privileged in that respect. And I really enjoy doing it. Um, it's like one of the few perks of doing this job for 18 years. So I feel like I'm not guilty about doing it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's good. I, I enjoy it. I still like it a lot. I would recommend it. And if you're a person who's never been to one of these shows and you like games and you like games enough to listen to our bullshit, you should definitely at least go to one. <laughs> And try it out for yourself and just see what it's like. Are you going? To, are you motivated, Corey? There must be there must be a, one of those many several dozen PAXs that occurs near you at some point. Uh, well, now that I live in Louisiana, uh, the PAX that's in Texas is, which I believe is in Austin, is a little bit more uh, closer to me now. Um, because whenever I lived in the Midwest, there's basically like nothing in the Midwest, like because like Boston is all the way east, Austin's all the way south. Uh, Seattle's all the way west and uh you know anything that's going on in New York is obviously all the way in you know the northeast so I was pretty much like basically as far away from any sort of convention like that as I could get but I guess the thought does now I hadn't really thought about this until just now that if PAX uh like Texas PAX comes around I don't really know when that is but I could potentially try to go to that um I would like to but I don't I don't know maybe I just the thought like that I haven't gone for, I haven't really been to a convention like this for so long. Maybe I had just seemed doomed to ever go to one, but now I guess I do live a little close now that I'm in Louisiana. Well, we could always work on sending you. If you ever get a, get the hanker in to go, we can talk about it. You could go as like one of the game critics representatives might be kind of neat. Indeed. That would be neat. Um, whenever, so whenever you're talking earlier about how you don't wait in line for anything, I had this image of, uh, like you going to a restaurant with your wife and then being like, oh, it's going to be like a 45 minute wait before we have a table ready. And you just like flash your game critics press badge. And they're like, actually, a table just opened up right over here. <laughs> is that what happens? That's kind of what it's like. If you <laughs> actually is kind of what it's like. Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I felt kind of guilty the first few times because you see these, um, you know, people standing in line like, dude, these lines are crazy. Like, um, I'll talk about this a little bit more in the pack segment, but like, the lines are easily an hour, two hours, sometimes three or four hours long just to like play a 10 minute demo or just to see something. And like, I just, life is finite, man. Like you don't live forever. I can't spend like four hours in line to play 10 minutes of a demo of a game that's coming out in three months, you know? So it's like, <laughs> if these people want coverage, you got to like, let us see the game. I mean, we're the people who are going to be writing about it. We're the people who are going to be tweeting about it. So, you know, it's kind of a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. Um, I mean, nothing nothing dirty about it. I mean, that's how any, any business works. That's how anybody gets PR anywhere. So it's just a normal course of doing business. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I admit I go to the front of the line. If I go to a place and there's PR there, I'm like, Hey man, I'm a game critics. And they're like, okay, come on in. So I do not feel guilty at all. <laughs> well, that's pretty rad that you get the VIP treatment, but let's not, uh, talk about packs too much yet because we're going to be talking about it before, just before our regular game talk, uh, later. But, um, other than PAX, uh, what's been going on with you, Brad? 
Well, um, I feel like I've been saving up some banter for a couple of weeks. I actually keep a list of banter topics, so I'm going to just pick a couple <laughs> couple quickies and then one that's kind of a weird one, more of a personal one. I've um, been watching some TV with the wife uh, in the mornings recently. Uh, I get up pretty early in the day, and when we have a quiet moment, um, we'll just watch something real quick. What we've been watching lately, I don't know if this is going to be of interest to anybody who listens to this, but it's called The Miss Fisher Murder Mysteries. Have you heard of these? No. So it's on Netflix. Uh, So I don't know how... I think somebody over at Tin Man Games in Australia had made an app which was based off of this TV show, which is made in Australia, about a woman detective. And I hadn't heard anything about it. But then I... You know, you get wind of things in the Twitter sphere. And I looked at the game. and I'm like, oh, well, this looks neat. Oh, it's a show. Okay, well, let me check out the show. Oh, it's on Netflix. Oh, let's check this out. Um, So long chain of events. But basically, it's about... Uh, it's set in the 20s, 1920s, so it's around World War I times, and this lady is a well-to-do Australian woman. She's single, and she's older. Uh, I'm not sure how old she's supposed to be in the show, but she is, at the time of filming, I think, in her mid-40s. Uh, she looks real good. I mean, she's not, like, you know, ancient or anything, but you can tell she's an older lady, which I think is pretty cool, because you don't get starring roles for older women, um, even when they look as nice as she does very often. So I think that's pretty cool. And it's also... Neat because she's like very independent, very, I can take care of myself. Um, At first, I wasn't sure if I was going to like the show because I don't really want to watch anything with rich people right now because I kind of hate rich people right now because of life, because of politics, because of of things going on in the States. But I think that she kind of had to be rich because it like opens doors for her to do all these things that otherwise a woman in the 20s would never get to do. I mean, she has like land and status and she's also white. And so she can get away with some stuff. She uh, knows a lot of important people, so she can, you know, use that to her advantage. But the thing that really makes it good is that she actually um, doesn't, like, you know, revel in her money. She just, like, uses it to get things done. She actually uh, is very uh, good with people. She, like, takes in this couple of uh, communist dudes who are, like, uh, on the street. They're just, like, Australians, but they're communists because they want, you know, equal working status and stuff. And so she takes them in. She finds this other, like, maid who gets fired, and she's, like, really hyper-religious and kind of weird, but she takes her in, and then she has this, like, little orphan girl she takes in, and she's got, like, all these different friends, like, this group of misfits, and she just relates to them like people, and she treats them all, like, really well, and they all get along, and it's kind of a goofy collection of characters, and every episode, some kind of weird mystery happens, somebody gets killed, and since it's the 20s, like, there's no DNA testing or anything, it's just her kind of, like, snooping around back alleys and putting pieces together and the thing that's really cool two two things i think are really cool number one her outfits are like phenomenal like i'm not really like a fashion (laughs) hound or anything but like dude you would have to be blind not to see like how like fabulous she dresses she's got like these furs like really like jewels and just everything she looks like a million bucks like in every scene like it's really impressive it's pretty cool and the other thing is that for a single woman who is in her 40s and I'm guessing probably a very conservative culture in Australia at that time, as in the rest of the world, she bangs like a different dude in every episode. And she's like, <laughs> not guilty. She don't give a fuck. She's like, I'll fuck this guy if I want to fuck him. And then she does. She fucks like all these guys. And I'm like, whoa, she's totally like liberated woman. It's pretty awesome. So I dig that show, man. The first episode was kind of sketchy, but once they get things uh, established, it starts humming along really well. And it is kind of formulaic, but I dig the characters a lot. And I think the setting, I mean, 1920s Australia, I mean, half the words they say, I don't even know what they're saying. I got to look them up <laughs> online and Google and stuff, but it's a good show. I dig it. I would definitely recommend it. I think it's really fun if you are at all inclined to watch something like that. I mean, 
I'm not sure that I would watch it on my own, but I think it's a perfect show to watch with my wife. Is anything that I described there of interest to you, sir? Uh, Okay, so surprisingly, most of the shows that you watch and you're like, oh, does that sound like something you'd watch? Usually I'm like, no, not really. But this show actually sounds like pretty amazing. It sounds like like she she's like Batman. Like that's basically what I'm getting out of this. Kind of. She's like Batman in like fancy furs and dresses. And like, yeah, I mean, basically she goes around. (laughs) She's got like a little, she got a fucking knife in her stocking. She's got a gun in her purse and she'll like throw down with dudes. I mean, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Huh, I'm going to have to look this up because it actually sounds like, I mean, you know how I am. I'm all about like strong female characters and all that shit. So that sounds, sounds like super up my alley, to be honest. It might, it might be up your alley, dude. Give it at least two episodes. The first one's a little bit shaky. It gets strong right away and then it kind of just rolls from there. So let me know what you think. Dear listeners, if you have seen the Miss Fisher mysteries, uh, let me know if you like it, if you don't like it. And apparently, oh, just as a heads up, um, the developer, Tin Man Games, those are really good guys, friends of mine, uh, love those guys. Uh, they actually tweeted me and they said, oh, heads up, if you are a fan of the Miss Fisher show, do not play the game until after you watch season two, because apparently the game starts off with some kind of, something that's a big spoiler, I don't know what it is, because I'm not that far in the show yet. But anyway, if you plan to check out the app, don't play it until after you've seen season two. So just heads up, PSA, spoiler warning. <laughs> so that is the... Miss Fisher Murder Mysteries, I believe the entire thing is on Netflix right now. Um, so you can, I mean, basically everybody's got Netflix these days. Your toaster's got Netflix these days. Your watch has Netflix. <laughs> I'm sure that's a good place to find it for people. So there's that show. One other quick thing uh, as far as TV goes. My son and I have recently started watching Danger and Eggs. It's a cartoon which is on Amazon. Have you ever heard of it, Corey? No. Danger and Eggs? Yeah, it's a really bizarre uh, cartoon. I can't remember how I heard about it, but somebody said it was really good. And I got to be honest, I'm not really down with a lot of, like, the more recent cartoons. I mean, there's been a lot of cartoons lately where people, like, older people like them and they get kind of a cult following and, you know, they get really popular. But I just, I don't know, something about modern cartoons just doesn't click with me. A little too arch, a little too shrill. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, But I figured I would give this one a shot. It's really, really bizarre and unusual and i'm not sure that i would recommend it as a cartoon that i would want to watch for fun but i think it actually is really valuable um so basically the premise is there's a little girl named dd she's like super hyper really athletic really go-getter crazy girl and then her best friend is like a giant egg and um (laughs) he he's super safe he's not a scaredy cat but he like he doesn't take risks he likes um you know order and structure and he's always kind of reining her in a little bit so they make like kind of a good good pair uh so they go on these weird adventures in this park every day they're in like this giant like central park kind of area weird stuff happens really bizarre just off the wall crazy things but that's not really what makes it good because honestly i think half the jokes to me like fall flat and i don't really laugh when i watch it i mean i might chuckle here or there but the thing that's really good about danger and eggs is like in every episode there's like a really strong message of like acceptance or something that's really positive for kids to pick up on so like in one episode um it was all about i mean they didn't say it as much but it was basically like this girl felt like she was kind of in the middle of things i clearly she was like a queer girl and they didn't say anything about it they didn't label that but they were like oh you don't have to label yourself something you don't have to be one or the other we can like just be friends and accept you for who you are and like you know very clear message very healthy message my son totally liked it i really liked it too i thought it was great to see something so positive And in every other episode, like, they don't come right out and say it, but, like, in every episode, there's something where it's, like, 
believe in yourself. And they give some good examples of like how you should believe in yourself and like, you know, why, what happens if you don't. And, uh, or, you know, like, like friends, like, you know, put a lot of value in friends and good friends and how that can be a good support system for your life. So like, there's kind of like these underlying messages, which I think are really, really super, super positive, And I really enjoy those a lot. And it kind of makes up for the fact that I don't really like laugh or, or, or enjoy it on that level, you know, like it's not a bad show, but it's not like I'm rolling and busting a gut watching it. It's just like, <laughs> I watch it. I'm like, hmm, hmm. And I just kind of take it in. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That was a good message. And then maybe I'll talk with the son about it. And he's usually on board with that too. So I really like it from that aspect. Um, if you are into like acceptance and you want something super positive. And I mean, I've heard that this is getting really popular in the queer community. I don't know. I can't say for sure but I've heard that it's getting popular with those folks. Um, I'm all for anything positive like that. So I would definitely recommend it to people who want to see something that swings that way. So maybe, I don't know, of interest to you, Corey? Uh, probably not. I mean, I respect what all it's doing, but I don't think it's something I would watch. Yeah, I don't know if I'd recommend it. If you didn't have a kid or something like that, or if it wasn't something that you were dealing with, because it's just not funny. I mean, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe some people think it's funny. I don't think it's funny, but anyway, one more quick story. Uh, this is kind of a more personal story that I've uh, I actually wanted to share this a couple weeks ago and we just got sidetracked and stuff. Um, a good friend of mine, I've known this friend for like probably like 22 years. So like a really long time. Um, she went out of town and she wanted me to, to watch her cats. Uh, she's going to take off, go across the country. And I'm like, okay, cool. I can, I'll, I'll drive up to your place a couple times a week, fill up the water, feed the cats. No big deal. Empty the litter box. So like I go up there. And my wife, like, waits in the car. Because I'm just going to run in real quick. It's not like I'm going to go spend quality time with the cats. I'm just going to, like, just feed them real quick and just get back out, right? Because I don't even like cats. I don't like cats at all. So I'm like, fine. I'll just do this for you. So we go in there. First couple times, no big deal. I empty the litter box, put it in the garbage, fill up the water, fill up the food, blah, blah, blah. Leave. Come back. Do the whole thing again. Blah, blah, blah. Come back. And, like, the third time I come back, the garbage bag that I had been emptying the litter box into was on the porch. And it wasn't there before. And I'm like, oh, huh. I wonder if she came back early. And so I texted my friend and I'm like, yo, are you back? Because your garbage can's on the porch. And I knocked and nobody answered. And I was going to open her door because I had the key. And the deadbolt was in place when it wasn't in place last time I was there. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is this is weird. I'm going to I'm just going to veer off. We're not going to go in. I don't know what's going on. I mean, maybe she's in there. And she didn't tell me she came back early. I would hate to walk in on her naked. That'd be really awkward. Uh, but what if it's not her? That would be really weird. What if it's her sister or who knows? Who knows, right? Like, I didn't I didn't know. No one's supposed to be there. So I just immediately left, got back in the car, called uh, my friend. And, like, she didn't answer right away. But, like, an hour later, she's like, what's going on? And I'm like, are you home? And she's like, no. I'm like, okay, well, someone's at your house. And I'm like, is your sister here or what's going on? And she's like, no, no one's supposed to be there. She's like, what happened? And I, I described, you know, oh, the deadbolt was down and I didn't leave it down when I was there. And the garbage can was in the kitchen when I left and it was outside when I came back. And she's like, oh, my God, someone's at my house. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm like, I don't know who it is. You don't know who it is. And she came back and apparently she had left one of the windows open in the back of her um, place because it was really warm and she wanted the cats to be cool. Uh, apparently someone crawled into that window that was open and like just started squatting in her place. Oh my God. I, I could not believe it, dude. So I was like, holy shit. I mean, luckily I didn't go in because what if they had been violent or, you know, you know, you don't want to go into someone's house and 
someone's like hiding in there or something. I mean, you don't know what's going on. And I have my son with me usually because he was going to play with the cats for a minute. And, you know, he would be in danger. So, like, she totally immediately stopped what she was doing, flew back. Like, that night she flew back. She got home, called the cops, had the cops come in and evict this fucking crazy, psychotic, mentally ill person who was squatting inside of her house. She had, like, thrown a bunch of her furniture outside. She had this person. It was a female person. Had started raising hell with the neighbors, had thrown some stuff outside. She was like filled up her bathtub and was doing all sorts of crazy stuff inside the house. I was like, oh my fucking God. Like, I'm supposed to be watching her house and like fucking feeding her cats. And then, I, I mean, it's not really on me because, you know, I mean, she left her window open. That was her choice. But like, how often do you leave vac- for a vacation and you come back and there's somebody squatting in your house, dude? That is bananas. Oh, my God. I could not fucking believe it. So the police came at, like, midnight or whatever, evicted the fucker, hauled her off to jail, and I don't even know how much of a mess my friend's place was in. I mean, I was just like, oh, terrible. So fucking just craziness, dude. Craziness. I'm really glad I didn't walk in there, too, because who knows what would have happened, you know? It kind of scared me a little bit because, you know, I can hold my own or whatever, but, like, you know, with the sun and maybe I I didn't know anybody's in there first place. They could have got the jump on me. I mean, who knows, man? Like, that was... Oh, give me the, give me the willies afterwards, dude. Huh, and it makes me wonder, like, what would have happened if, maybe, like, the time between like your last visit there and then her coming home, like, what if the person had gotten in there between then and like your friend comes home and has no idea, and all of a sudden, like, you know, she wouldn't have you know anybody to like back her up or she wouldn't be able to call the police or anything. Like, God, what would have happened then if she just like walked in her house and like, boom, like there's just somebody there who had like been there for a few days. That's, oh man, that's uh, strange. That's horrifying. Yeah, I mean, that very easily could have happened. I mean, it just so happened that I came back on that day. If I hadn't come back on that one particular day, who knows if, you know, just like you said, like that person could have been there squatting and setting up camp and then my friend would have come home not expecting anything out of the ordinary and then boom there's like this stranger in her house who the fuck knows what would happen dude i mean that could have been really ugly that could have been really dangerous so i mean i guess it worked out for the best but jesus christ like it just it really skeeved me out pretty hard so anyway folks when you go on vacation close your fucking windows and like just <laughs> don't don't give anybody access to your house just don't don't make it easy for them anyway end of my story everything ended up fine which is good but jesus ugh, weird creepy <laughs> anyway i talked for a bajillion years there Corey. what do you got on the banter banter sheet this week sir um i have one one thing to talk about um i was gonna talk about this last week but uh we very graciously gave carlos all of our banter time last week so this is like as like story like two weeks in the making um so like brad you're like i wouldn't call you like famous on twitter but you've got like quite a bit of following like you have a little bit of um i don't know like sway and panache on twitter and i don't because i'm like not as big of a deal as you are but have you ever had any of your tweets like blow up or like go viral or anything like that before uh, nothing huge. I mean, you know, I'm always happy when I see somebody favorite something. It makes me feel all warm and special inside, but <laughs> no, nothing. I mean, nothing huge. Uh, why, why do you bring this up, Corey? Because, uh, a couple weeks ago, as a matter of fact, it was, uh, I guess it was like two, two weeks ago on Monday, whatever the Monday was, it was two weeks ago. I was sitting on, sitting on the couch playing video games 
And uh, my cat, one of my cats, I have two cats, Bowser and Samus, their brother and sister, and sitting on my couch, and Bowser does this thing every once in a while where he will, like, sit next to me on the couch and just stare at me. And I think that maybe he wants me to be like, oh, hey, come get in my lap. And I'll, like, pat my lap a couple times, and he'll jump in. But if I don't do that, then he'll really, really slowly, like, stick one of his paws out, and he'll, like, climb into my lap really slowly. And it's, it's funny. It's kind of silly, but it's not, like, a big deal. But I saw him about to do it the other night or a couple weeks ago. So, of course, what did I do? I pulled my phone out, and I took a video of it. So I took this, like, two-minute-long video, and it's literally just him Climbing, taking almost an entire two minutes to climb into my lap and sit down. And I posted on Twitter because I put, you know, I take pictures of my cats every once in a while and, and post them because, uh, you know, the internet loves cats. And I, uh, I'm sitting there, you know, playing video games, nothing, nothing big's going on, not really expecting anything. And then somebody retweets it and I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. Um, and then somebody else retweets it. And then before I go to bed that night, the video was on its way to becoming a viral video. So at the time of writing, or not writing, <laughs> at the time of podcasting, uh, that stupid tweet with the video of my cat climbing into my lap currently has almost 32,000 favorites and almost 20,000 retweets on Twitter. Wow, really? Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Like, I, I wasn't really... Because, I mean, I never, like, post things being like, oh, man, I really hope this goes viral, like, because I just don't really care about that. Um, but, you know, people like my cats, and so I like to share them. And, uh, like, literally for about 48 hours straight... Uh, my phone, uh, a Twitter notification was going off on my phone literally every second for two days straight. Wow. Of people, people liking the tweet, people retweeting it, people quote tweeting it. Um, the next day, whenever I woke up, that I had a media licensing company based in LA uh, call me. I don't know how they got my phone number. Shut up. Call, you can't call. be serious. No, Are you serious? I swear, I swear to God. Um, they called me and left me a voicemail, and she was like, hey, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so media, and I saw your tweet, and we're a media licensing company, and I just wanted to let you know that um, we'd be interested in licensing your video. And there's a possibility that you can make money off of it. And we were, we've were we worked with this brand and this brand and this brand. And we've worked with this company and this company. And we've gotten videos featured on this side and this side and this side and that side. And if you're interested, give us a call back. Like, she called me. She sent me a DM on Twitter. And she sent me a DM on Instagram. Like, she covered all of her bases. Wait and so, a minute. Wait a minute. Are you rich? Did you fucking get rich in the no, last week? No, 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 no. No, nothing like that happened. Because um, if you're rich, I'd be pissed, dude. You no, cannot be a no. one percenter. What the hell? Uh, I mean, I would love for like my cats to get me rich, but so so far no dice. But it was just like, I mean, nothing like that has ever happened to me before. I think maybe my most popular tweet to date before then had maybe I don't know gotten like fifty retweets or something. So to go from that to like twenty thousand in the span of two days, and like at one point I had had. Um, like, I think my, like, quote-unquote, like, engagement, my, because Twitter, if you go to the website, the Twitter, Twitter website and on your phone, I make sure there's, like, a little graph in the corner that has, like, your hourly engagement. I think I topped out at, like, 1.3 million views in, like, a 24-hour period, which was pretty intense. And Dude, that's nuts. That's crazy. Yeah, it was just so, like, I don't know, because, I mean, it's, like, one of those things where you, like, see, you always see those stupid videos, like, on Twitter or, like, on your Facebook feed or something, 
and now like I am that guy whose video like a bunch of people have seen and and, and like even now like like on an everyday basis since then at least hourly it gets liked or tweeted again or something like that so like okay. we're, dude I, had, I have not seen your fucking video I'm like the, I'm the one guy on Twitter <laughs> who hasn't seen your fucking video what the fuck where is this uh, video I gotta I see know. this now I mean you can go to my Twitter after the show and watch it it is I'm there go to your Twitter now I'm looking at it now <laughs> yeah is it where the what? hell is it is it pinned? Is it pinned to the top of your it thing? It is not. No, it's not pinned. It's like two weeks old. It's down kind of far. You're going to have to search Shit. for it. I'm going to search for it. All right, whatever. Um, I'll but, find uh, it. it. Yeah, so I don't know. I just felt like that's probably the most exciting thing that's happened in my life lately. Like going from tweeting like a stupid video of my cat to having it like blow up to having like a media person call me to, to license the video and like somebody, a different media licensing company, um, uh, DM'd me like three or four days ago and you know they were too late because I had already licensed it to the first company so like you know they didn't they couldn't get anything and I don't know it's just like you know it's one of those things that oh you never think it's going to happen to you and then it does and it, oh and something else I forgot to mention um, I mean I always had you know crossed my fingers and hoped that somehow I would make it above a thousand followers on Twitter I had no idea that it would be a cat video that would get me there because I I gained about 300 followers in like a day just from people seeing the video and following me so it was uh it was pretty pretty strange I guess oh man I just googled your fucking Cory Motley cat video and it totally came up no, you're you you're go. googleable dude you're yeah. big you're big time what the hell i'm a big deal now how did you i know, not know about this oh jeez i don't know you're man. like you're like the first like you're like the first 20 responses on this thing <laughs> <laughs> you famous Corey if, got if famous you, if you google image search me and scroll hard enough you can find a picture of my butt somewhere on the internet i'm not going to scroll that too. far down <laughs> But listeners, there you go. There is something that you can do if you got some time and interest. So yeah. So uh, so I don't know. That was kind of an interesting thing to happen to me, like having a video blow up and, and like people quote tweeting it and putting like funny quotes before the video and people in like all different languages, like all across the world, like quoting it and like you know writing in like Arabic or in Spanish or in Chinese or Japanese and stuff. It's just. I don't know. It's kind of kind of strange. It would be lovely if I could make some money off of it, but so far uh, I don't think I've made any money off of it. But uh, yeah, it's just a strange, a strange experience. Dang, dude. Well, you better check the fine print in your licensing deal. You don't want some uh, L.A. person getting rich off your cat. Well, I did. I actually already um, like talked to them about it, about like their revenue split for if they end up making money off of it or if they end up licensing it out and everything and. I can go to the dashboard on the website and it shows me like how much money I've made to date. And I haven't checked it in like a week. So like there's a very small possibility that like I could have made some money. But like after having the video up for like a week, I hadn't made any money yet. So I was like, well, I'm probably not going to make any money like after after like because it's already kind of like died down. But I don't know, maybe like maybe I'll be on like the Ellen show in two weeks or something or Good Morning America. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That would be fantastic. That would be fantastic. Um, yeah. Good times. Good, I'm gonna. I gotta go watch that video now. I feel. I feel like I missed out on this whole like revolution. I didn't even like. You are my podcast partner, and I didn't even know you were getting famous, dude. I know. I gotta sorry. go look at this fucking video. That's I mean, fun. maybe that's good on my part because I was trying like not. You know, because I think of myself as like generally a pretty like humble person, so I wasn't really like 
trying to play it up. Like I could have been one of those guys who like retweeted the video like every hour of every day, you know, to try to get maximum exposure, but I did not do that. So I was not going to be that guy. All right. Well, you can still try that and maybe get some money off it. Who knows? But we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Well, that's so exciting. That is so exciting, dude. Um, any other banter or that, I mean, that's pretty big, that's pretty big banter. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. That's all. That's pretty much the most exciting thing that's happened to me in like two weeks. So that's all I want to talk about. So if you haven't seen the cat video listeners go, you can go watch, you can go spend two whole minutes of your life watching my cat climb into my lap and it is the coolest thing you'll see ever i think dang dang all right i'm gonna watch that as soon as the show's <laughs> over um looking ahead at the script here Corey, i know that we were about to talk to talk about packs but i feel like we just have like spent a lot of time free for maybe we should do games first get some structure going and then kind of end on packs what do you think that sounds fine to me all right why don't we let's let's launch into just regular games I'm sure some people have been, really been enjoying our chat so far. I'm sure some people are, like, clawing at the walls, waiting for us to get to the good stuff. So <laughs> let's let's get to the games, and we'll get to packs at the end. How about that? Yeah, we can do that. That sounds fine. All right, man. So you've been playing Rhyme. I'm so excited. I've been waiting for you to play this for a long time because I played this a while ago, and then um, we didn't really get into spoilers. Are you going to talk spoilers tonight by any chance? Uh, do you want to talk spoilers? Uh, maybe we should. Maybe just in case, just in case. So maybe we should throw up a spoiler warning for people for Rhyme, and maybe we should put that if you uh, you want to put that in the uh, show notes as well. I will uh, do that. We may be talking about Rhyme spoilers. Maybe not, but maybe we will. So just as a heads up, maybe fast forward to the next section if you don't want to be accidentally spoiled on Rhyme. But Corey, um, I talked about this a, a while ago. I don't remember what I said, uh, but I remember I liked the game. You <laughs> have just played it. Why don't you uh, tell us all about it, dude? All right, I will do. Um, I got this from Gamefly. Uh, it is called Rhyme, R-I-M-E, not R-H-Y-M-E, as you would think it would be called. Um, it's developed by Tequila Works, published by Gray Box. It came out in May of 2017, so just earlier this year for uh, PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch, allegedly. It is out on Switch, which is pretty neat. This actually kind of seems like the perfect game for Switch now that I know that. But um, basically, this game is... <clears throat> it is a third person sort of like explorational adventure slash puzzle solving game where you play as a small boy who washes up on the shore of this really beautiful island and the game graphics look kind of similar to like wind waker to me like zelda wind waker they're very almost kind of self-shaded very bright very saturated very cartoony um i really like the art style of this game i think it's really pretty it's really endearing it's really charming um and the beginning of the game, you're this kid. It's kind of like the movie Inception because he just like washes up on the shore, doesn't really know where he is. And you, um, you know, you take control of him, run him around the island. And um, he doesn't have like you don't like talk to people. There's like a little orange fox that he can follow around that kind of like guides him on where to go um, if you get lost. And uh, I mean, basically, it's just, like, puzzle solving through different stages, and there's, like, four, I think four or five big main areas. Like, the first area is, like, the oceanfront island, and there's, like, kind of one big puzzle you have to solve before you, like, cross a bridge and go into a building, and there's another area that's, like, this kind of desert landscape where... There's this giant like bird thing that's attacking you that you kind of have to hide from. And there's like a there's like an underwater level where you have to like swim through these like underwater caverns. And there's um there's like this uh kind of like overgrown with uh greenery like 
cave area where there's these like robot things that are around that you kind of have to guide around. And then there's this kind of like really rainy, dreary, like black world. It's kind of, it's hard to explain, but you're just like running around on these black platforms that are, and it's like raining and you kind of have to solve some puzzles and stuff. Um, but uh, initially I, I really liked this game. Um, it's not, there's no combat. There's no like, there's no real like, death i mean you can drown if you're in the water for too long uh that's pretty or you can like fall off stuff maybe and that might be like the only ways you can you can die i think but um i initially started it and thought it was pretty good and was having a good time with it um but i i do have to say the one thing that really um i found one really big problem with this game and it's the same thing that happened to me whenever i played narcosis um and this, it, it oh was. Oh God! It's a, not. It's not crabs again, is it? No, it's not crabs. Thank goodness. Um, no, because the crabs were like bad in a good way in Narcosis, but um, in Rhyme, I got about halfway through the game, and one of the things that I both do and don't like about Rhyme is that it's one of those games where you kind of have no clue what's going on. Like you don't know why you washed up on the island. You don't know why you're solving the puzzles you're solving. You don't really know what's going on at all. And whenever you switch from like one stage to the next, like say when you get from like the oceanfront island area to like the desert island, you don't really know why you're in the desert. You don't really know why the big bird's attacking you when you get to the robot part. Like you, do, you like there's no real like clear transition of like why you're going from world to world, at least none that I could find. Um, and I got about halfway through Rhyme which, I mean, part of that is pacing. I, I did not enjoy the pacing of this game because it's it's very difficult to tell, um, like, basically how far along in the game you are at any given point. And the game's pretty short. It's only, like, four or five hours long or so, um, depending on how good you are at solving puzzles, and I'm not very good at them. But, um, like, the game doesn't really set up a clear, like, hey, this is where you are, this is the objective, and so you know kind of how far along you are in the timeline of getting there. It's just you exploring, but that's that's not the big problem I had. The big problem I have was there was one section where I was in an area and I, I finished solving a puzzle, and th because each environment you're in is sort of open world, um, there's not really like a super-duper linear path you're running down. It's just kind of you exploring um, sometimes, like I said earlier, there's a little fox that'll pop up and you just kind of follow the fox around. And it's a really good way of, um, of the game holding your hand. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like sometimes you finish a puzzle and you don't know where the hell to go, or at least I didn't, cause there's not really a lot of direction. So the fox will like bark and you turn around and see him and then you follow him and he just kind of takes you where you need to go next, which I think is a pretty good, pretty good design. I mean, if you don't like having your hand held, maybe you won't like it, but I remember solving this one puzzle and I could not figure out where to go to save my life. And like, I went one direction I hadn't been yet. The fox was not there. So I went one direction I hadn't been and I totally ended up going in the wrong direction. And then I like drowned or something in the water and I got checkpointed like 10 minutes back, which was incredibly annoying. And then I like went in another direction and it wasn't the right direction I was supposed to be going. And I died again in the water and I checkpointed like another 10 minutes back. And it's kind of the same thing that happened to me in Narcosis where like in Narcosis, I was on a pretty, like the game was paced really well. And then all of a sudden it opened up into this big open world area and I had no idea where to go. And I felt the same way about Rhyme. Like I got really, really frustrated in this one segment and eventually I just turned the game off and I wasn't sure if I was going to finish it, but I turned it back on later 
and started playing it again. And the good news is whenever I started playing it again, the fox popped up. So I don't know if it was like a glitch and the fox didn't pop up for the, you know, me the first time, or maybe I didn't happen to be like going in the right direction, you know, to start or something. But the good news is the fox popped back up. I got to follow him and I got to finish out the rest of the game. But at that point I had been kind of like dirtied on the game experience and I pretty much just like <laughs> trudged through like waiting for the game to be over from that point on because it because the game does not give you a good sense of pacing at all and I remember getting most of the way through the first world and like it, it hits a part where you like you you kind of have to take your time to solve some puzzles and then it's like a section where it gets a little more linear and you're just kind of like dashing through these areas and through these like uh, like castles to get where you're supposed to go and I was like wow this kind of seems like it could be leading me up to the end of the game. Um, but it was only like 25% of the game. And so it was one of those things where I just kept waiting, like, okay, like, w is this going to be it? Is this going to be it? Is this going to be it? And it, just the overall pacing was not really good for me mixed with the fact that the Fox like glitched out or whatever, whenever I was playing and I couldn't figure out where to go. Um, but so those are a couple of the problems. I'm not going to get into the ending of the game yet, but we can uh, in a minute, Brad, do you have anything you want to respond to about anything I've said so far? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I get what you're saying for sure. And in fact, I had some of those similar frustrations. Uh, I, I don't know which part you got lost at, but I got lost in this one section. It was where I was following the fox, and I wasn't sure at that time whether I should be following the fox or, like, how much exploration I was supposed to be doing. Like, the game does not really make it clear, and there are some pickups to get that are like, you don't need them, but they're like lore based. And I was kind of enjoying the story. So I was kind of keeping an eye out for little extras, you know, around a corner or maybe behind a rock or something. And there was one point when I lost sight of the fox and I was chasing some collectible I thought I found. And when I came back, the fox was gone. And in that particular section, it just looked like every other section. And so I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. I did get actually pretty frustrated at that point. So... I think that does kind of mirror what you're describing. Um, I don't know if it's the same section or not, but the game does have that uh, that happen in a couple places, especially if you're not 100% sure on what your objective is. I think if you know, it kind of helps you focus because sometimes you can look for landmarks in the environment and that'll help, but that's only if you know what you're doing. Like if you're just new to this area, each area has kind of a different objective or maybe a different thing you're supposed to do, different place to go. If you don't know what that is yet, it can be very confusing because you're not really sure what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, I remembered um, when he got to the desert area with the big bird. Did you uh, did you get that far, Corey, with the bird? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I finished the whole game. But, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So, like, when I got to the, the bird, I was like, well, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, this bird is, like, perched above the desert and he keeps coming to kill me and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. So, I kind of went in circles there for a little bit. And there's a few places where that happens. I mean, luckily, I never got stuck for too long, but I definitely did get stuck enough to where, like, frustration started creeping in, which I think is not really a good thing. Um, I think that maybe if they put in a button that let you summon the fox if you needed to, that would help, and then, you know, you could just do it as much as you needed to. Uh, I mean, for me, I probably would only do it when I, when I was getting frustrated, and then if that alleviated the frustration, that would be a good thing. They did not do that, so there's definitely some places where, where I could see that happening to me just like it happened to you because it did so yeah i get you i get you but you came back and you pushed on did you finish the rest of the game like in one sitting or did how like how did you break it up and then what happened when you got to the end 
Um, I did. I think I did finish the rest of it in one sitting because the part where I got really lost was actually in the desert level. Um, like right after you kind of defeat the bird. I'm not going to say how you defeat it, but there's like a way you kind of like get him to go away. And right after that, I had no idea where to go. So I got stuck. It was probably about almost halfway through the game exactly, uh, maybe more or less. And I came back and I ended up finishing the rest of it. I think it was in one sitting because I had about two, I think I had two worlds left. I think I had like the robot like cavern left. And then I had the the rain world left on the black blocks. And um, you know, it's a real shame that this game kind of doesn't give you any, like, hints about, like, what the story is. I mean, the, the the most story that you get out of this game, if you don't go look for all the collectible things, which are hard to find, and I wasn't someone to go after them, um, is that every once in a while in the world, you see this uh, kind of, like, mystery, like, silhouette figure with this red hood on, or, like, a red, like, cape, like, a hooded cape on, and... It'll be kind of somewhere in the distance, and by the time you get to it, it'll, like, round a corner and disappear. And that's basically all you get. It's like, okay, there's, like, some kind of figure in the distance. I'm trying to go after it, but once I get there, it disappears. And you don't know, like, who it is. You don't know what their connection is to the world. Um, you don't know what their connection is to you, if there is any connection. And and so... Uh, by the time I got to the end of the game, um, the ending actually is quite a gut punch ending um, and, and a, in a really good way. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about the ending right now. I'll put a spoiler alert in the show notes and we talked about it earlier. So if you've been listening this far, you know, y'all and you don't want to hear the ending ending, then, you know, get out of here now. Um, but basically at the end of the game, you discover that you're because uh, you're like a young boy, you're probably like 10 or 12 or something that you were on sort of like a fishing ship or some kind of like sailboat or something with your dad and uh, you fell overboard and your dad tried to grab the, the hood off of you or the cape off you and like a piece of it ripped off. And essentially, from what I understand, the game is about this the son, the kid that you're controlling, going through different stages of like life to death or going through like, different stages of depression um, that's, like, sort of, uh, like, metaphorically done through life and death, like, as the grief stages of the dad. So at the very end of the game, you play a very short segment as the dad, and he's, like, sitting in his cottage by himself, and you, like, walk him back to the son's bedroom. And, you know, and it, it's just, like, really, like, once the game got there, I was like, wow, this is really powerful. Like, it's really sad, and I kind of got what where it was going and kind of, like, what the rest of the game was about. But I wish, like, I don't, I didn't, I don't need them to come out and tell me in the first level, like, oh, this is about you dying. But, like, it would have been nice if there was, like, a little bit of a carrot, you know, in front of me to keep chasing after because you don't really, at least I didn't, have like any idea what was going on in the game until I got to the very end and I was really happy at the end or I mean sad but like in a good way at the end but I, I felt like everything that came before it was a little bit too long and a little bit too unevenly paced and occasionally too frustrating for me to feel better about the ending I think yeah I hear that I um I definitely had a very strong emotional reaction at the end I think that the that final section and how they kind of unroll that is pretty good. Um, I think, I mean, it, it seems to me, and I don't know this for a fact, I'm just theorizing here, but it seems to me like maybe the developers had this idea in their head about the ending and kind of worked their way backwards 
Um, and, I, and I think it's cool. I think I think what happens at the end, very emotional, very worthwhile. Um, it did definitely make me have some feels. But I do agree with you where up until that point, I mean, you, you wash up on the beach and I guess that's... I mean, for me, it was like, is he going through the stages of death to like acceptance and then he moves on is he like in the underworld is he trying to fight his way back i mean it's really it's very very ambiguous but not in the good way where it kind of kept me thinking it, it, it kind of was ambiguous to the point of where i kind of let go of trying to find any meaning in it and i was just kind of taking it in as an experience and so um without being able to put any pieces together or even having any pieces to begin with I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, this level is about the desert and it's really cool or it's warm and, you know, you're doing different things here and then you go to the robot world and I don't quite know what this means, but I'm, <laughs> I have this robot friend and I'm doing, I mean, it just was kind of like very impressionistic and very artistic and I thought like the vibe of it was cool. The graphics were cool. I really enjoyed the puzzles. I thought the puzzles were like not very hard in some sections, but a little bit more challenging in others. Like I felt like it struck a pretty good balance. I was never stuck for too long in any one section but then when it got to the end the end was so powerful i really wish that they had done more along the way to kind of help you to help nudge you in that direction to kind of help you not necessarily give it away but like you know get you mentally ready because it does come out of the blue i mean i think it comes out of the blue pretty much where you kind of figure it out once you know what the thing is but like along the way i mean i had like no clue at all so Sounds like we were kind of in the same boat, and I, I wish that they had like a little bit more of a breadcrumb trail, a little bit more, um, you know, clues or something. Because even if you get the lore, um, I didn't get all the lore pieces, but the lore pieces don't spell it out. I mean, it's really confusing even still, so it's not really worth even tracking them down. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed it. I think as an impressionistic art piece, I think it's pretty fabulous. I really love like the aesthetics and what you do and just like the general design of the different levels each level being kind of a different thing was pretty cool and it did have emotion at the end i just wish it all kind of hung together a little bit better yeah i think i'm pretty much in agreement with that um i i also feel like um i mean this is this game is definitely in the vein of like uh like journey and uh shadow of the colossus or eco maybe even like abzu or something and i feel like um this game, like, although it does have a really good, like, powerful ending, like, as far as, like, the gameplay and stuff goes, I kind of feel like this is a game that's, like, too little too late. Like, anything that's in this game, you could probably find a better version of it somewhere else. Um, it's not to say the game is bad, but I just kind of feel like if it had, if this game had come out, like, five years ago, maybe it would have been a lot better and maybe more popular and more well-received, but it definitely seems like this game, like, kind of happened because they were inspired by other games like this. Um, and uh, something else that I was thinking whenever I played it is, like, it kind of reminds me of, um, like, if Playdead, the um, the designers of Limbo and Inside, like, if they made a third-person, um, like, 3D uh, puzzle-solving totally. exploration yeah. game, like, this yeah. is kind of what it would be instead of doing 2D. It's very... Um, it feels like a play dead game, but in like 3d and just like a little bit brighter. Cause it's a little jollier for about half the game. Cause most play dead games are like, or I guess every play dead game is very like mysterious and dreadful and kind of oppressive. Um, whereas rhyme is not always oppressive, but it totally feels like if play dead made a 3d game, this is what it would be kind of. Yeah, no, that's a very good observation. And I definitely agree. It does seem a little bit like a Johnny come lately where other games have kind of, staked out this territory and made their name 
Uh, and I mean, although I think this one is really well done and I really enjoyed my time with it, it, it definitely does seem very inspired by other games, a little bit of Limbo or, you know, Inside possibly. Um, it also made me think a lot of The Witness from Jonathan Blow. Um, it also made me think of like Eco in some ways, uh, or Shadow of the Colossus, a little bit of Wind Waker. And, you know, I mean, uh, granted, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, every idea has already been thought of um, a million times because that's just how humans are. But at the same time, like, I, you don't necessarily want a game where you're sitting playing it and, like, every time something happens, you're, you're thinking of another game. Like, you don't want, every, you know, every moment of your game to be like, oh, that was Wind Waker. Oh, that was <laughs> Eco. Oh, you know, like, I mean, take inspiration for sure, but you got to, like, you got to put your own spin on it. And I think they tried. I think that if they had maybe um, played to their story a little bit more, um, that would have maybe given them a little bit of a different direction and they could have stood out a little bit more. I mean, it's not a bad game. I liked it. I liked it a lot. But I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think you are correct. Yeah, I liked it too. And I mean, last but not least, uh, one thing that I definitely want to give like a hand to is um, I have to say that I actually really respect Tequila Works as a developer because every single game they make is completely different from the last game they've made. And I think that's something to be respected and something to be uh, really proud of and really happy about. I mean, they started with uh, like a 2D zombie survival game and now they're making like a journey Wind Waker alike and they did like a like kind of like a board game murder mystery between those two and it's just like oh, that's works, right like, that's right that's right yeah yeah they're I, they're just like i'm really impressed with it reminds me of whenever you play the ios game game dev story and every time you make a new game it's like oh do i want to make a an action game about pirates or do i want to make a board game about cats or something like i feel like that's what they do they just go for something totally different every time and i really respect that about them i think uh, I just, I don't know. I'm always excited to see what they do next because it's always something totally different. Yeah, I like them a lot. And, I, you know, I know we kind of were talking about, you know, maybe the different weaknesses of Rhyme. I mean, as well as some strengths, but definitely some weaknesses too. But I, I don't want anybody listening to come away thinking that we that we don't respect these guys. I mean, I think what you said is exactly correct. I actually am a big fan of them. And even when they make, like, a, just like a, a middle-of-the-road game, it's still pretty good. Like, they yeah. have some really good chops. I mean, I like their inspiration I like their design. I was a really big fan of what's the 2D one? D uh, the one with the zombies. What was it? Uh, dead Deadlight? Deadlight? Is that it? Deadlight? Is that it? I don't know. You're the one that liked it. I thought it was just okay. I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. And I've heard that the other one, the Sexy Brutal, I think they did that one also, which is like a, a murder mystery. That one got really strong reviews. I'm actually going to be playing that pretty soon. Um, so, but yeah, even these, even their, even their so-so games are really good. So, I, I feel like these guys um, are kind of dancing around success. I mean, they, I don't think they really, <laughs> they haven't really had a huge hit so far, but ever, they have not had a miss either. And I think that really counts for something. So um, I feel like these guys are in the works of becoming um, a, a more significant studio, probably pretty soon, probably sooner rather than later. So Would you say that they're in that tequila works of becoming a better oh, studio? Oh, snap. Yes, I would. Stop. You yes, set I me would. up for that, you dork. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good on rhyme. Any further, any further thoughts or should we move on? Uh, I think we can move on. Despite the fact that I talked a lot of shit, I actually do recommend this game. I think it's pretty good. Just, you know, go in with the warnings that Brad and I talked about, but I think, uh, I think we can move on. I recommend it too. That is a good game despite what we said. Okay, but let's move on. Uh, let's move on to a game that I don't recommend I don't because know. we cannot have a so video games, uh, without hating on some game. Cause that's just how we roll here. Uh, <laughs> 
I am going to be talking about Absolver, which is developed by Slow Clap, which is a French, brand new, as far as I know, brand new developer from France. Published by everyone's favorite, Devolver Digital. Released uh, August 2017 for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Now, I gotta say, this is a very interesting game. Because for whatever reason, Devolver felt like this was gonna be the one for them. Um, They really put a lot of marketing muscle into this one. A lot of marketing dollars. This game was all over PAX. It was on the back of the programs. I mean, it was like huge posters. I've, I've heard about it a lot, um, which is not always true of the Devolver Digital games. But for whatever reason, they felt like this was going to be the one. And I got to say, uh, Devolver Digital, it is, it is not the one. Oh, it is no. not the one. Um, so this is an obviously Dark Souls-inspired game. Third person, open world, I guess is probably fair to say. The point of it is that you are a martial arts <clears throat> I don't want to say expert, but you are a practitioner. (laughs) Excuse me. God, I have a rough night, bro. Practitioner of the martial arts. And that's really what you do. Like, there's not much story. Like, the story is like you, you're in a monastery, you put on this magical mask, and then you're immediately transported to another world where all you do is kung fu 24-7. So I don't quite know what that's all about, but it's enough for me to get started, and that was fine. You get to this new world, and then you they don't tell you anything. They, they really hold back a lot of information. And I think that's one of the lessons, one of the incorrect lessons that developers take away from Dark Souls when they want to copy Dark Souls. I see a lot of developers who really love that series, and that's fine. Like, I get why they love it. It's very influential, very seminal, and there's a lot to learn from that series. But I feel like developers just pick up the wrong lessons. Um, <clears throat> the number one lesson that people pick up from Souls is usually Stamina Bar, And then the second thing that people pick up from Souls is don't tell the player fucking anything. (laughs) And that just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And if you really pay attention to Souls, they do tell you quite a bit. It's not it's not as like mysterious as people make it out to be. I mean, they at least tell you how the fucking game works. They tell you (laughs) that they give you a really in-depth tutorial. They make sure you know your moves, which is not something I can say about uh, Absolver. So you begin the game really quick tutorial, very quick, a little too quick. And at first, it seems like your head's going to explode because it seems really, really, really complicated. Like, you have a light attack and a heavy attack, and then you have four different stances. So you have, like, upper-facing right, upper-facing left, lower-facing left, lower-facing right, and then each move, depending on which stance you're in, is different. And so, like, you have, like, all these different moves that you can kind of connect together. You can go into, like, a training mode and then reprogram your moves so that you know, say like when the game begins, you throw a straight punch with the square button, but you can change it to make it a kick or an uh, uppercut or whatever you want. You can change things all the way around. And then each move will sometimes lead into a different stance. And so you're like, holy shit, this is like so crazy. I'm just like dying with like complexity here. I don't know what's going on. Actually, totally not that complicated. It seems like it is. Um, But I found that as you're playing the game, to be able to change between targets or to change stances in the middle of combat is, like, impossible. I felt like it was... I mean, I'm sure that there are some people out there who are, like, savants that can probably do it, but, like, for me, like, average gamer, which I don't feel like I'm the best at games, um, it's, like, to fight and change stances at the same time was, like, Mission Impossible. So what I ended up doing (laughs) was I found four moves that chained together, and I put those on my heavy, heavy button, and then I found four moves that chained together, and I put those on my light button, and then I would just bash those buttons. Square, 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 
triangle, 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 triangle. And like that, that worked fine. That was just totally fine. So that was really kind of disappointing. Um, I didn't like that system very much because it got really boring. I'm sure some people are saying, well, you're, you're playing it the way it's not supposed to be played. I hear that, but at the same time, I do not think a regular human can play it the way it's meant to be played. I don't think the dexterity is there. I certainly wasn't capable of it. Maybe other people are. I was not. So had to work with what I had. As you go through, um, the way that you unlock new moves is to be struck by a move or to block a move that you don't have. And then you must defeat the person who is doing that move to you, which seems fine, which seems like a natural way to learn new moves, except it takes for fucking ever. <laughs> <clears throat> I think I played the game for about six hours total. And by the time I got to the end of six hours, I think I had unlocked like two new moves. And there's like like 75 more in the game or something like that. So it's like, I, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to grind and fight these like battles over and over and over just for this, the purpose of like unlocking a new move when I don't know if I like that move. I don't know if that move works with my system. You know, like there's just... There, you didn't have a way to work towards anything, if you know what I mean. Like you, you could not intentionally work towards a specific thing, which was a problem. The other problem is that uh, this game is meant to be played always online, which is something else that people have taken from the Souls series. Um, so in, the, in this game, people are constantly showing up and leaving your game, and you can work together. Like, there's a button that says, hey, would you like to cooperate with me, which is great. And there's also, hey, would you like to fight, which is maybe not so great, depending on who you are. <laughs> I was not a fan of that. Um, but ev almost every battle in this game ends up being a group battle. Like, you would think with some developer that spent so much time on their Kung Fu system that you would want to have like one-on-one -on -one battles. Like you would want to have a way to show off all of these moves that you've designed that, you know, you, you've put a lot into the stances, you've put a lot into combo chains, you put a lot into the animation. It seems like you would want to have these one-on-one -on -one awesome duels. No. Um, I very often found myself in battles against two, three, four, even five um, opponents at the same time. And you just cannot do anything intentional. You punch one guy, you got a little combo going, three other dudes are jumping you from behind, you know? Like, you try to turn around and fight those guys, and then the other two guys that you turned away from are hitting you in the back. It's like, there's no way to power your way through that unless you just, like, brute force level up and you overpower them. So they want you to use the cooperation system, but then when you do the cooperation and you get a buddy along, that's great. I mean, working together is fine. I think that's wonderful. But then it just becomes this giant slugfest where, like, I don't know why they bothered putting all the effort into the combat when all you're doing is mashing buttons in this giant mob of people. And it just was a mess. It was really awful. And at the time that I played this game, the online performance was garbage. It was really, really garbage. Um, you're supposed to be able to block moves. Like certain moves will block and stun somebody or some moves will block and you'll dodge. And, you know, you have to do it with really precise timing which is impossible if you have like all kinds of crazy lag online. Like you, number one, it's hard to tell what those moves are. They're not very easy to read. And then when you've got lag factored in, like there's no way, there's no way you shouldn't even bother to block or, or counter those things because you're just got your time is going to be so far off. It's just not going to work. So I feel like this game had tons of problems. Uh, and I gotta say the, the base design just wasn't very good running around fighting mobs and just, you know, why do you have all these moves if you can't really use them to their fullest effect? You're just like bashing these groups of guys. I mean, it might as well have been a regular beat em up, you know? It might as well have been Final Fight Part 2 for as much as I got out of it. Um, it really, really disappointing all the way around. I just, I liked the aesthetics of it. I think the costume designer was on point. Wearing those masks was pretty cool. But like, other than that, 
Not very good. I have one other major complaint, but I want to give you a chance to get in here, Corey. I mean, I, I cannot imagine this sounds like your jam. Uh, no, it does not. But I do have a couple. I do have a couple of questions about it before you go on. Um, okay, so you know the thing I like to do sometimes whenever you're describing games that I haven't played is try to come up with like a couple of games that I think it sounds exactly like. So I'm going to try to do that with this. Um, Let's do it. Let's do it. It sounds like they wanted to make. For Honor and the Batman Arkham games at the same time. How is that? For Honor, maybe. I don't see the Batman so much because I think that they were trying to do something a little more intentional. I think it ends up feeling like Batman, but, but I, I think that way. was, yeah, not in a good way, not in an intentional <laughs> way. But yeah, I think the For Honor, I've heard several people mention For Honor, so there, I think there's something to that probably, yeah. Okay, and then my other question is how, because this is something I'm still not even that clear on. I've seen so many ads for this game, and even hearing you talk about it, and I still don't know the answer to this. How much of it is PvE versus PvP? Well, it all depends. I mean, oh, when you are when you are walking around through the world, if you're offline, like let's say you took the Ethernet cable out of your PS4 or whatever, and you're offline, you're you're fighting PvE the whole time. But as soon as you go online... And you see these other people show up, like, you can you can ignore them. Maybe they'll ignore you. Sometimes people will come up and you'll get a little text box that says, you know, uh, you know, Ass Eater 69 wants to be friends. Do you want to be friends? <laughs> and then you can say yes or no. Or then they'll say so-and-so wants to fight. Or they'll just punch you. Um, one thing, <laughs> and if they start punching you, then you got to just fight, right? One thing that I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> you like that, huh? That's pretty good. <laughs> that was just so funny. Like, oh, do you want to fight? No. Well, fuck you. I'm going to punch you, and then we're going to start fighting. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's the shitty thing was, like, I, I tried to be Mr. Co-op. I, I don't like to fight other people online. That's not my jam. So whenever I met somebody, I would, like, offer cooperation. And most times people would do it because it's really, really tough to play this game on your own because fighting groups just fucking sucks. And so we would get into, like, a brawl, and, like, it's it's total chaos on the screen, like, two or three people working together like live players and then there's like two or three or four or five enemies on screen and they're fighting and like if you punch your friend you you cannot turn friendly fire off so like you punch your friend and then all of a sudden like accidentally it'll say oh you started acting aggressively towards ass eater 69 i'm like whoa i didn't wasn't even aware that i hit him i didn't mean to and then all of a sudden like it, it kicks you out of cooperation and then it kicks you into like verses and oh boy if, yeah, if you're not paying attention, then all of a sudden, like, you know, you lose track of who's who and then you end up fighting a friend or something. That happened to me a couple times. And thankfully, I would like back off and then the other person would back off. And like we both knew, oh, one of us accidentally punched the other. We really don't mean to be enemies. Let's be friends again. And then you'd be friends again and it's fine. But then if you accidentally punch him again, you go back to being like either neutral or enemies again, which is stupid. It's so <laughs> stupid. It's super stupid. So really did not like that. Ugh. But yeah, basically the whole thing is just like always you're always fighting somebody and you never know if it's going to be PVP or PVE, you know, back and forth all the time. You just never know. Huh. This game like I, I whenever I saw like ads for it and stuff, I thought like maybe maybe I will be interested, but for the most part I was like, you know, this doesn't really look up, look like my kind of game and I feel like discussing it with you tonight has sealed the deal that I will never touch this game for the rest of my life. I don't think you should. I don't think you should. And I want to say, before we wrap up on this, I, one other thing that I had a major, major, major problem with was that this game, another way that it steals from Souls is it steals the open world design of Souls. But one thing that people do not realize, and again, 
developers taking the wrong messages from Souls is like everybody and their fucking brother thinks they can design worlds just like FromSoft. And like those guys are masters of it. Like they can design a world where you don't have a map, but the landmarks are very clear. The pathing is very obvious and like very distinct things are in the world. So when you see like, oh, this is that tree with the guy hanging off it. I know I need to go east from here. Like you just naturally intuitively can get your way around the world because those worlds are so masterfully designed. That is hard to do. Not everybody can do that. And these guys totally think they can do it. And they fucking can not. <laughs> they can't. I got so lost in this game. Every fucking level looks exactly the same. Like it's a forest level and every part of that forest looks like a forest. You're in a town. Every part of the town looks like the other part of the town. It's so difficult to find your way around. I mean, I know some people got through it and that's fine. Maybe they got lucky. Maybe they have a better head for mapping than I do. But like, I got so lost and so turned around. I mean, there was like an hour or maybe even two hours when I just could not find the next boss running around in circles, fighting the same goons that were respawning over and over and over, just like really losing like all interest in the game and just getting really discouraged and frustrated because if I just knew where to go, I could like work towards something, but like just ending up going in circles and not sure where am I going too far? Am I not going far enough? Should I take it a left? Should I take it a right? Like, no guidance whatsoever. It's really awful. And I just, it really turned me off, like, hardcore. Um, I mean, it got so bad that I talked to the PR person. And the PR people were awesome. I know that uh, Stephanie Tinsley Shop, who is a, is a well-known PR person in gaming, uh, is awesome. She went above and beyond. She tried to hook me up some maps and tried to give me some assistance to get me through the game. Uh, I mean, I got nothing to good, but good things to say about Stephanie. She's the best. Uh, but it just wasn't enough, man. I mean, I don't feel like I should have maps from a developer to help me out. I shouldn't have to go online. I shouldn't look for a YouTube video. I should be able to find my way through your level, no problem. Uh, and it was a huge problem. So, I mean, everything about this game, I feel like is just not, not on point is not correct. I like, I guess I kind of like the idea of like being in some kind of weird Kung Fu world where I'm making up for my sins or something, but everything about this game just did not did not work so i i i think i put six hours in and i was fucking done deleted it never looked back so i do not recommend this game i've heard some people having fun with it i don't know how you're having fun with it if you enjoy it good for you um happy for you but for me uh no i i no i'm done i'm out <laughs> i'm sorry to hear that and i'm so shocked that out of all the publishers out there, Devolver Digital would be the one that puts out a really hard game that's difficult, that's hard to get through. That just surprises me so much. <laughs> well, you know, to be fair to them, I actually do like a lot of their games. I mean, I think I don't like everyone, but I think I probably like more than I don't like. So I'm always willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I appreciate what they're doing and giving some smaller developers a chance and putting out some stuff that maybe other developers wouldn't would not put out. So I, I like them. I'm a, I'm a Devolver fan. But I, man, they whiffed on this one. I don't know why they, I don't know why they got behind it so much. I feel like this one should have been, it should have been obvious to them that this was not on point, and I don't know why they thought it was a winner. So, anyway, uh, so much for Absolver. Let's uh, <clears throat> let's move on. I'm really, really, really curious, Corey, to hear about Last Day of June. Um, I was very interested in this. The PR person who was talking to me was talking it up like nobody's business. It's getting a lot of positive talk on Twitter. I noticed the last couple of days, people talking about it quite a bit. But you, sir, have played Last Day of June, and I am dying to know about it. All right. Well, the good news is I've played all of it, so I can tell you all about <clears throat> it right now, right here on this podcast. 
Um, Last Day of June is developed by, I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, Ovosonico. Ovosonico. Um, I hope. Uh, it's published by 505 Games. It was released in August 2017. It actually just came out like a week ago, I think, and uh, for PS4 and PC. It is a third-person kind of puzzle-solving, slightly narrative adventure game. Um, it has, I mean, the most obvious thing that I have to bring up about Last Day of June is that it has the most luxuriously beautiful art design. It is so beautiful, and it looks, it honestly looks unlike any game I have ever played in my life. It looks like like a painting, like... Like, uh, I don't even know, I don't know, like, painting genres, so I can't even say, like, it looks like an impressionistic painting or something, because I don't know that, but it looks like a painting. It looks kind of like if you took, like, uh, like um, The Nightmare Before Christmas or, like, Coraline or, like, a Tim Burton, like, animation movie. It kind of looks like that, like, in real time as you're playing it, and the colors are very oversaturated. Um, the character models are super duper cartoony. They have like really skinny bodies with skinny limbs and they have really big heads. And th they actually look really endearing at first, but the more I looked at them, the more I was creeped out by them because the heads are very large and they don't have eyes, but they just have kind of like, like if you took like, if you were making a model of a head out of clay and you just took like, an ice cream scoop and like scooped out a little bit of where the eyes are supposed to be. Like that's kind of what it looks like. It's just two like hollows. There's no like pupil or no like iris or eyelashes or eyelid or anything. So that, that, that actually looks kind of creepy. Um, I was getting creeped out a little bit over the game, but, but other than that, I mean, the art design is just is so beautiful. Everything is so nice to look at. Um, what the game is about, it starts off with you, there's two characters. There is uh, a man and a woman. Um, they're a couple. They might be married. I think they're married. Um, slightly irrelevant. And they're on a dock, uh, sitting on a dock by, like, this lake. And she is an artist. She kind of uh, has her, like, uh, paper and her paint out, and she's drawing the landscape scene that's in front of them. And he is sitting on the dock next to her. And you can tell that they love each other and that they're in love. And this is one of those games where, like, the beginning of it is so happy that you know it's going to be sad in like 10 minutes and it totally like it's totally what this is it's like the game is so overbearingly happy that tragedy has a strike almost immediately to like negate all of it so what happens is and this is like really not going to be that spoilery because it happens in the first 10 minutes but if you're someone who wants to go into this game totally clean then like Totally look at the timestamps and fast forward through this because I'm going to spoil like a tiny bit. But wait, wait, wait! Don't spoil it too what? much because I want to play this one. So okay. keep, uh, I, keep I'm that only going to spoil like like ten minutes. The first like ten minutes. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so um, basically they're sitting on the dock. Um, it starts raining, like it starts thunderstorming really quickly. So they go to the car to leave, and as they're driving back to, they live in this little village. As they're driving back to the village, they get in a car accident and and this sets up the whole premise of the game so it's like kind of spoilery but kind of not because it's something you'll find out like 10 minutes in they get in a car accident um the guy wakes up in the house um at a certain undetermined point after the car accident he is now paralyzed he's in a wheelchair so he like pulls himself off the sofa gets into the wheelchair and the point of the game is that you have to you like you re it's it's slightly supernatural but i'm not gonna dive into like because it's only slightly but you relive the events of the day 
leading up to going out to the dock with the girlfriend. And every time you relive the day, you try to rearrange what somebody in the village is doing in order to prevent the car crash from happening. And you play as a few different characters from the village. So you'll play through the day and say you'll be X character. And maybe he did this thing that... um, that set the events in motion of the car crash. And so you have to reappropriate his behavior to be doing like a scenario B kind of thing. And then you move on to the next character and you have to figure out how to make that character do something that will not add to the car crash or make the car crash happen, but also reaccommodate for whatever the first character was doing. So you go through different characters in the village and it's, it's, a, it's kind of like a big puzzle game in this regard. You have to figure out where to put every person during the day, during their event, to try to make all the characters in the village match up so that way the car crash won't happen. Um, and I'm not going to spoil, you know, all the, all the stuff, um, you know, about um, what everybody's doing and what everybody's scenario A, B, and C are and everything. Um, but uh, I, I like this game a lot. My big problem with it is that the main hook of the game being that it is the, the the whole thing is about, you know, reliving the events of the day and trying to fix everything is that it gets really repetitive and not in a good way. Like there are parts of the game where, you know, say you select character A and you have to try to make him go after scenario B, you have to sit through the same like, and it's not even that long. It's maybe like a 15 second cutscene that sort of like introduces him to the day. And then you have to like go around the neighborhood again and figure out the other thing. And then you have to watch like the end of day sequence, which is maybe like a 30 second cutscene, And you basically do that over and over again with different characters. And it gets annoying because even though like a 15 second opening cutscene and a 30 second closing cutscene might not seem like that big of a deal, whenever you have to watch them over and over and over and over again, it gets kind of repetitive and kind of dull and kind of frustrating and kind of irritating And on one hand, I walked away from that being a little bit irritated. And on the other hand, if you're one of those people that likes, you know, a quote, unquote, quote, unquote, uh, anti-shooter game where say like a shooter is, is not well designed because it's supposed to be frustrating. It's kind of like good in that way. So if you're somebody who kind of likes that, maybe this will get you into it because I mean, obviously the frustration of having to try to reassemble the day over and over again to try to prevent a car crash would be frustrating like so it kind of like gives you that that sense but i'm not someone who values that in a game um i don't really like that aspect of it i don't know if it's meant to be like that like oh we want the player to feel frustrated by making them do this over and over again so that they'll feel the frustration of the paralyzed man um, trying to recreate the events of the day but with that said by the time i finished the game um i actually really liked it um it's very similar to it's weird that I played rhyme in this in the same week because they kind of have the same thing going on where you're like playing through it you're kind of not quite sure what's going on and it's you know very puzzly very um very beautiful very different art style than other games I've played and then you know you kind of get around to the end of the game and it then it sort of like unfolds things and you you know it kind of has a little bit of a gut punch ending as well and um, and I will say that by the time I finished this game, I had to add it to my official Corey Motley list of games that have made me cry. So that is really good um, in its regard. But um, I I really like it. I just wish the middle section weren't so repetitive and didn't make you do things over and over again, um, or maybe found a way to like speed things along a little bit. 
Um, but my main takeaways that I did enjoy, it's very emotional, very, um, very kind of depressing here and there. Um, but with like a shadow of hope and, uh, I don't know. I, what, what, what else can I say, Brad? What do you think? Well, I'm hearing you talk about it and it sounds like something that I would be interested in. I mean, I guess my first question is how long did it take you overall? Like how many hours was it? Oh, I know it's maybe like three and a half hours. It's a pretty short game. Okay. So that's pretty short. So like with that in mind, that to me at least kind of makes thinking about that repetition a little bit more bearable. Um, cause that's, I mean, that's a pretty short, that's a pretty short play no matter how you slice it from start to finish. Um, but there's no fast forward or you can't skip any of those cutscenes or whatever. Like you just have to watch them play out every time. Yeah, and that's probably, I think, the most annoying thing for me is, like, like if they had let you, like, end the day and it had been, like, oh, press X to skip this cutscene that you've already seen 35 times, like, that would have been amazing. But it, and maybe, like, I don't know, maybe they'll patch that in in the future or something, but there's never an option to skip the cutscenes, so you have to watch the same, like, end-of-day events over and over and over again, and it was kind of frustrating for me. And even though the game only takes three and a half hours to finish the repetition of the main hook of the game makes it feel a lot longer, which is not good. Um, so I was getting pretty frustrated in the middle of it. But I mean, overall, yeah, it's only three and a half hours, but I wish that like you could skip the cutscenes or something. Well, shit, you started talking about it and I was like, oh, OK, I'm going to bump this up on my list. It sounds like my jam. And then you got to the repetition part. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Put on the brakes. Hold on. Because <laughs> I'm like, I have a real problem with repetition in games. I just feel like I feel like sometimes it can be intentional and it can serve a purpose, but most of the time I feel like it's just sloppy and people want to pad out the length of their game or, I mean, I would imagine that if it takes three and a half hours with no skipping, if they let you fast forward, it would be like 90 minutes or something like that. Probably. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe not like quite that drastic, so. but yeah. yeah. So maybe they did that just to make sure that it wasn't too short, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to keep an eye on it. And maybe I'll get into it on sale or something. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I have a real problem with repeating stuff. It's like when, um, did you play, what's that fucking Zelda game, the weird one that everybody likes with the moon? What is it called? Ocarina uh, <laughs> uh, uh, of Time? No, no, no. The other uh, one with the mask. and the, Oh, Majora's uh, Mask? Majora's Mask. Yes, thank you. Uh, that's uh, a game, it, that's kind of like what you're describing where you have to, you know, save the world from being destroyed with the moon. You have to like replay all these events and get them right. Like, I hate that game. I know a lot of people <laughs> like it. I hate it because I can't stand doing the repetition over and over. And over. I just, I couldn't stand it. I really disliked it. So, um, I know that about myself. Uh, maybe some people like that. That's cool. Nothing against that. But for me personally, that does not work for me. So I, I would still give this a shot, um, uh, considering how short it is and considering that the subject matter sounds like something that I would like, or at least like to experience. But, I'm going to hold off for now, but, uh, <laughs> sound, I mean, it sounds good over. I mean, overall, would you recommend it or no? Yeah. I mean, it's good overall. And I mean, the, the emotional weight of like the end game activities definitely kind of makes up for the repetition in the middle. And I, I feel like a little bit bad because like, I mean, the, like the game is repetitive, but that's kind of like all it is. Like, it's not like the game has anything else going for it other than like, because like the meat of the game is like fixing the day several times over. So that way you can prevent the crash from happening. But um, so it's like if you take that away, like, you know, it's it's a lot different than being like, oh, this shooter, I really hate the boss battles, but at least it has the shooting going for it. Like this game, that's kind of like it's bread and butter is like the, you know, rep repetition of the day's events. I just wish that they would have like added... 
just a few little things in there that would have made it a little bit shorter or maybe like taken out one of the characters entirely or something. Um, but I do recommend it. I think it's it's really mature. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful game. Um, the animations and everything are just just so dreamlike. It's just so smooth and so beautiful. I just wish that it were a little bit less repetitive through like the meat of the mid game. Uh, well, sounds like a little bit of a win, a little bit of a miss. Um, that sounds maybe not like a pure recommend. So. <laughs> I'm sure I will get to it at some point. And just knowing that it's so short, I think it's kind of cool, too. I like to be able to blast through a game in a day or something. But Oh, well. Um, any last thoughts? I'm ready to move on if you are. Uh, yeah, I think we can move on. Um, I do recommend it, even though it didn't really sound like a big recommendation. But I think, uh, I think I liked it more than Rhyme. I had a hard time categorizing these two. Because as I play games through a year, I keep an updated list on my phone of what... Um, of my, like, everything I've played in the year ranked from top to bottom. And I think I actually put this and Rhyme right next to each other, and I put this one above Rhyme. So, I mean, that has it going for it. Interesting. Okay. Well, it sounded like I liked Rhyme a little bit better than you did, so maybe I would like this one even more, or maybe I would like it even less. I don't, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, let's move on real quick. One more game, and then a little bit of PAX Talk, and then we are out of here. Uh, I want to talk about this week... Recore colon definitive edition <laughs> uh, developed by L level five. That can't be right. Is that right? Yeah. Level five concept. I swear to I, God, it's not a typo and armature studio. So armature studio are the people that were left over from Metroid prime. Is that correct? <laughs> leftovers. <laughs> they were the leftovers from Metroid prime. The people that escaped. <laughs> And concept is people left over from Capcom, I think. There was there was some kind of exodus in Capcom, and then they formed concept, which I thought was like, oh, how droll. You still have com in your name as kind of a signal as to where you're from, but you're not quite. Okay, whatever. So, I mean, bottom line, these people have some, some chops behind them. I mean, leftover Capcom people, leftover Retro Studios people. Uh, published by Microsoft Studios original version came out last year just about a year ago september 2016 the definitive edition came out this year august 2017 um so just a really quick sidetrack i know i've said this on the show before and i've said it on twitter a few times in the modern era of gaming it seems to me that if a game comes out, the best time to play that game, and this can be any game, is exactly <laughs> one year after it's released. It sounds stupid, but like when you look at the track record of people these days, with all of the patches possible, the DLC, the tweaks, the feedback, the changes, it seems to me like you're stupid if you buy a game on opening day or release day, you know, because it, there's going to be problems, they're going to change some things, they're going to add some things later. It seems like the best time to play any game these days is exactly one year after it's out. And this is one more game, which proves the point. Um, <laughs> so really quick nutshell. This is about a girl who wakes up on a desert planet. She is supposed to be like, I don't know, terraforming the planet, but something goes wrong and she's all alone. She has a couple of robot friends that help her out. They're like sidekicks. And she goes on this adventure. Um, this game was supposed to be like a really big gun for Microsoft or when it was originally going to launch. It was going to be like one of their exclusives. They had some pretty big talent behind it. 
It launched and it got really, really poor reviews. Um, there were a lot of technical problems with the game. Uh, there was a lot of problems with just the overall design. Like, for example, um, one big complaint I heard was that when people um, got to the end of the game, they, they forced you to go back and do a lot of grinding for items because the game would lock off the, the ending unless you did all this grinding. You just literally, literally could not finish the game unless you did this stuff that most people didn't want to do. Uh, our own Mike Susky uh, from Game Critics, one of the uh, writers we have at Game Critics, he posted a video of himself falling in this infinite loop like he would fall the game would respawn him and he would be at the top of a cliff and he would fall and it would respawn him and he would be back at the same spot like over and over and over and he couldn't break out of the loop so he couldn't finish that part uh i mean there's like all sorts of problems and design issues excuse me uh so it really didn't go anywhere a lot of people just bailed on it and it kind of just sank into obscurity uh i really liked the look of it i thought it looked like a cool thing but I didn't play it back then. I bought it for like $4 at GameStop because it like tanked immediately. So I'm like, well, I'll play it someday. Maybe I'll just, you know, put a half an hour into it. Just, you know, get a feel for it and be done. But I never touched it. I put it in my backlog and it sat there for like this entire year. And then out of the blue, out of nowhere, <laughs> no one expected this. It was a complete surprise. They're like, hey, dudes, uh, we've been working on this for like the entire year since we released it. Recore definitive edition and it's it's here so if you bought the original game it's free you get all of the fixes all of the updates all of the tweaks for free and that's what happened to me i bought the original disc i put it in the xbox one it it downloaded all of the patches and i now i have the definitive edition so no cost to me or anybody who bought the original game if you did not buy the original game you can download or or there's no hard copy of it, I don't think, but you can download the just definitive edition from the get-go for the Xbox One and just play the new version. So I have, not having played the original, I cannot say how much better it is or I, I don't exactly know everything that they changed, but I have to say with my first experience with the definitive edition, I think it's a really good game. I really like it like quite a bit. I think it's very, very good. Um, I think the world looks pretty cool. Even though it's a desert world, there's lots of variation and there's lots of like machinery. And it seems like a very well thought out place that people would be terraforming in. So I, I kind of like the setting. I think your robot sidekicks are pretty cool. You have a, a dog to start out with, a robot dog. You eventually get a robot spider. You get a robot gorilla. I just got a robot tank. And I think there's one more robot I don't have yet. And uh, they come along with you. They do battle. You can change their parts around to make them look different, give them slightly different stats or different uh, uh, abilities. Uh, I mean, not hugely different abilities, but like, you know, you can focus one more on attack and one more on defense or change their stats, etc., etc. Um, and one of the best things is that your main character is so mobile. Um, she has a double jump and she has an air dash. And that doesn't sound too special. But the way that they've implemented it in the game is really fun. Like, it is so fun to just move around in the world. She jumps really high. She can jump high again. The dash goes really far. And so there's all these, like, really vertical spaces where you seem like it's, like, it's too far. Like, I'm never going to make that jump. But I'm in this level. This is the only way for me to go. I feel like I, I, I got to try. And then you make it, and you're like, oh, it feels awesome. Like, you totally made that giant jump. Or, like bouncing around you're so fast and mobile like just the simple joy of moving around with this main character is awesome like i think it just it feels really really good um using the robots in battle is really fun 
Um, there's a little bit too much combat. I mean, it's not it's not crazy, but I think uh, I could maybe do with a little bit less. But overall, I mean, I'm just really, really enjoying it. You you set out into the world, you can explore the open world, and then within the open world, there are small dungeons. And inside the dungeons, some are very focused on using your mobility. Some are more combat dungeons. Some are like a mix. So you get a little bit of variety. And I think it just, it works really well overall. Um, I think this is actually a really, really good game and a very strong uh, exclusive for Microsoft. It's too bad that they did not release this in this state back then because I think that would have been a real feather in their cap because I, I got to say, I'm really eating this game up. I think it's really good. <laughs> um, I was reading the list of fixes. And so apparently the thing that everybody hated was the grind at the end of the game. Apparently that's gone. They've removed that. Uh, they have now added fast travel anywhere you want, anytime you want, instead of making you travel to like a point to do it, which is a big time saver. Uh, they've added the ability to look on the map and anything that you need, I guess it used to be hidden, but now it's all visible. So if you need a certain component for your robot or you need a certain item to like level up or something, it's just on the map immediately and you can go and get it whenever you want to. So you don't have to just like blindly search. Um, they've added an entirely new robot. I, apparently the tank robot was not in the first release. So they've added like a whole new robot and a little level that went along with him. So that was brand new. Uh, lots of uh, loading fixes, like technical fixes. I think they've gotten rid of all like the, the death loops and all of the things that were fucked up the first time. I mean, it seems like they've they've really addressed a lot of the problems. And like I said, I can't speak to that personally because I never played it originally. But this new version, really smooth, really fun, really fast. I think it feels really good. I think it looks really good. I love the character designs. I mean, I, I'm just enjoying like every part of this game. I think it's really, really good all the way around. Um, so clearly they have spent that last year in a good way. I mean, they really must have been working hard on it. I'm surprised because I didn't hear any whispers about them continuing to work on it. I didn't hear anything about it until it was already out. So I am a little bit curious as to where they got the funding for that or, or what was the, the plan. I mean, clearly they released it in an unfinished state and that's what led to its downfall the first time. So I'm really glad they got the chance to fix it. But um, man, it's too bad they didn't release it like this in the beginning because I guarantee this would have been a big hit. It's really, really fun. It's really good. I uh, I played this back whenever it came out, the first time it came out. And I think I only played it for like an hour. And to be fair, I was not looking forward to this game. I wasn't like, like, oh, I can't wait to play ReCore. I bet it's going to be so good. I just kind of wanted to play it just to see what all the fuss was about. It's kind of like um, like when, like, uh, I don't know, like Batman versus Superman came out and, like, everybody thought it was kind of bad and you, like, just had to go see it to see how bad it was. Like, this is kind of what I did with this game. And I, I didn't come away from it, like, hating it, but I remember I only played, like, an hour and I was like, yeah, this isn't really my kind of game. Like, it's just too... It felt a little bit too, like, arcade -y for me, and I didn't like that the combat system was basically just you, like, locking on to an enemy's weak point and, like, jumping around the battle arena and, like, shooting them with a lock-on. Like, it's not very, like... It didn't feel very, like, shooter-y to me, and um, I just wasn't into it. Uh, I don't think the definitive... I don't own it, so I couldn't play the definitive edition anyway, but I feel like the definitive edition probably wouldn't even be enough to, like, really get me back on board with it, but... I feel like you are the hero this game needs, Brad, because nobody knew that the Definitive Edition was coming, and now you're here to say that it's, like, way better. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. If you didn't like it originally, you're probably not going to like it now because, I mean, it doesn't, like, change at night and day. I mean, the, it is certainly more arcade-oriented than I think people were expecting. I mean, to, to, to backtrack a little bit, when this game was originally announced and people got really excited because I think it was Keiji Inafune... Uh, I may be make, I may be wrong. I'm pretty sure it was him though who was like he of Mega Man fame. I'm pretty sure this was he had his fingers on this at some point. Um, the the trailer for this first game made it look like a totally different kind of game. Like it made it look more of like uh, an art house game. Um, it did not show like how fast and shooty and arcadey it was. And I think that when people got to play it, they're like, "Whoa, this is nothing like your trailer." Like from the trailer, you expected. I don't know, like Eco Part 2 or something like that. Like maybe the girl and her dog and maybe maybe the relationship was going to be the focus and them like maybe trudging through a desert, you know, maybe journey-like or something like that. Totally not at all what this game is. And I think that they did themselves a disservice by going with that trailer. It was a cool trailer, cool as hell, uh, but it is not representative of what the game is. And I think that some people really got uh, their heads kind of twisted off when they when they saw that this was not at all what they were selling. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's more of a, it's not a shoot. It's not a shooter. It's like, it's like an action jump around a very kinetic arcade game. The gunplay is just lock on and shoot, like you said, while you dash. So it's kind of like a character action game in that respect. Uh, but I think that the main hook to this game is just the mobility, like being able to jump around and dash in a way. It almost reminds me of a uh, gun Valkyrie. Did you ever play gun Valkyrie back on the, uh, I want to say it was the dreamcast. Maybe, maybe it was the Saturn. I don't know. One of those. Did you play gun Valkyrie? No, I did not. All right, don't play it, because it's terrible. <laughs> but um, that was a game, when it came out, it had, like, a very dedicated core of followers, and I hated it. I bought it, and I did not like it, but I liked the idea of it, because, you know, I'm a jetpack fan. You know I got a weakness for jetpacks, and that one has a really prominent jetpack, and I'm like, well, I got to play all the jetpack games. This has got to be my jam. <laughs> Tried to play it, hated it, quit, and people kept saying it was good, and it drove me fucking nuts, because I played it, and I hated it, and people that I really respected were like, no, dude, this is a good game. And I couldn't see it. I just could not, <laughs> couldn't find it. It was making me crazy, dude. And I kept, I went back to it again, tried again, didn't get into it. And I'm like, fuck this game. Fuck this game. This game sucks. And then like, I think it was like the fourth or the fifth time that I tried it. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I think I understand it. And like, I don't want to say it's a good game because I don't think it is. But I finally saw that thing in it, which was good, which was, um, you know, being able to like chain combos and it would keep you flying. And it was kind of a really tactile, um, if you were really into like combos and stuff like that, I could see how people would like that. I eventually, I mean, I finished it, went back like, and I finished on my fifth attempt or something like that. I mean, it was <laughs> a real uphill battle for me to finish that game, but I eventually ended up getting through it. But when that game works and you're like dashing around in the air and you feel like you're just kind of like going here and going there and being very mobile, that same feeling is kind of replicated in ReCore, uh, but way more approachable, way easier to pull off. It's super simple. Double jump and a dash. Anybody could do it. So I think that same feeling is here, and I really like that feeling um, without all of the, the angst you got to go through to get to it. But if you like the idea of vertical exploration, jumping, dashing, um, you know, a lot of like smaller dungeons that are couched within an overworld... Um, I, I would recommend it for that. I also really like the character. I think the main character, her name is Jewel, J-O-U-L-E, which is kind of uh, a dorky name since there's so much electricity and robots in the game. Kind of a funny funny little play on words there. Um, but she's really likable. She's got a good voice actor. 
Um, you really want to like root for her and get behind her because she's a cool person. Uh, her suit looks cool. The character design is really cool. I think there's a lot to like. A lot to like about this if you go for these kind of uh, character-heavy games. So I would recommend the definition the def- defin- <laughs> definition version. No, I don't. I recommend the definitive version. Let's try that instead. Uh, yeah, I like it a lot. This is probably the most fun I've had on the Xbox One in quite some time. So I think this is a clear win. It's just too bad they got such a poor start. But at least they had the manpower and funding to get this shit in gear. Shocking. Really shocking. I'm I'm so shocked. I would like to find out how that happened because considering how poorly it sold, I mean, was it Microsoft thinking they had sunk so much money into it they needed to get some profit out of it? Or were they trying to cultivate a gem that they could actually claim as a good exclusive for their console? I mean, I don't know what the logic is. I would love to find out. But man, talk about out of nowhere. I mean, that this surprise patch turned what you know by all accounts was a complete dog into what i see as a complete winner so that was a a huge turnaround indeed indeed um i uh i do think it's weird that they didn't like publicize this at all like you said like i had i mean i wasn't like out on the prowl for record news but i had no idea this was coming and i until you talked about it i didn't know that it was like a free thing either. Cause anytime I hear definitive edition of a game, I'm like, Oh, it's just the game and all the DLC packed in like a game of the year edition. But as you started talking about it, I was thinking like, wait, this, this game didn't have DLC, did it? Cause it was so bad. Like they wouldn't have stuck around to make DLC. So I'm glad that it's free and available and all the patches are there and they just fixed a bunch of stuff rather than cranking out DLC for a game that nobody was playing in the first place. No, very true. Um, I didn't hear much about it either, and I think I saw like somebody tweeted about it, and I think like I don't know Kotaku or somebody like did like a a paragraph about it or something like that's how I found out about it. I mean, Microsoft has not been talking about this very much, and I think they really should. Uh, but I was totally bracing for like, oh great, I bought the old version, and now if I want to play the new version, you got to buy it again. But I mean, it was all free. It was really nice, so I really appreciated that I didn't have to invest any more money. And this, I mean, what what is clearly a lot of work came to me at no extra cost, which was good. I mean, granted, the game wasn't finished, apparently, and they did not do their job the first time around, so I think you could make an argument that they owed it to the people who bought the game the first time. <laughs> uh, but regardless, I appreciate that, you know, I think most companies would have charged something for it, and they charged nothing, which is great. So um, I recommend it if you have not played ReCore. It's a good game. It's a really fucking good game. You've got an Xbox One, and you want to play something that's really arcadey and action-y, I give this a big thumbs up, and if you played it before and you didn't like it, um, if it was because of the bugs or because of the design issues, you may give it another shot. I think some of those things have been ironed out. Give it a shot. Good stuff. Cool, cool. Um, Do you have anything else to say before we move on to PAX goodness? I think I'm good. We should move on. This evening is getting away from us, and let's let's talk about some good stuff, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. All right, cool, cool. So you were at PAX for four whole days straight playing games, not standing in line, and interviewing really high-profile developers and stuff. So what, let's talk about, I I didn't really plan anything for this, so what do you want to talk about from PAX? Um, I'll just talk about, like, various different anecdotes. I mean, first off, uh, for anybody who is curious, my coverage of the show just went up today. So if you want to know what games I thought were the best games, I have posted a list at GameCritics.com. It's my top 15 games plus one. Uh, So you can check that out, and it's got the whole list there. It's it's already up. It's good to go. So by the time that you're hearing this, it'll have been up for a day or two. 
So please check that out. Um, but for now, I'm not going to read through the list or anything. You guys can can read that for yourself on uh, whatever you want to. Uh, but I'll just talk about just impressions in general. Um, I think it's a good show to go to. I'm really glad it happens like 10 minutes from my house. Uh, I can just drive down there really quickly and get into the show, and I don't have to travel too far. Uh, I used to travel to a lot of different shows when I was younger and when I was single and before I had kids, but now that I am older and married and I am a parent, I don't go to any shows anymore because I just don't like being away from my family. I don't like being away for that long. I miss my wife, miss my kids because I got an awesome family and it's not worth it to go to GDC or E3 or Tokyo Game Show because I just don't want to be away for that long. So I really, I'm fortunate that I have a, a show in my own hometown. I can go in the morning, do the show, come back at night, sleep in my own bed, you know, see my family. It's, it's, it's a blessing. I really enjoy that very much. So grateful for that. This year's show was just kind of okay. Um, there weren't a lot of like really amazing standout games. There were some good games for sure. Uh, but not a lot of like, oh my God, I'm really excited to talk about these things. Um, I think probably the high point for me was I got to meet uh, Japanese developer Sweary65, who was the guy behind Deadly Premonition. Uh, I had arranged a meeting with him, and I did not know this at the time, but the lead developer from the Panzer Dragoon series was with him as well. And so we got to sit down, and I talked to him for like an hour, and we hung out. And it was really cool. Swery's a really cool guy. Um, Futatsugi, who is from uh, Panzer Dragoon, is a really cool guy, too. And it was me and our good friend Steve Haskey, who I think you've heard of, Corey. I have done a lot more than just heard of him, that's for sure. Oh, oh, <laughs> let's leave that hanging there for a minute. Let's leave that hanging. Um, so it was me and Steve and uh, Swery and Futatsugi. And then we had uh, an interpreter who was actually a lot more than an interpreter. I'm not sure if he wants to be named or not. I will, I will not leave. I will not name him just out of respect. Uh, but it was, it was somebody who was much more than an interpreter and we were very fortunate to have him. Um, and we had an hour long talk. We just sat down and they were so down to earth and so approachable and so cool um, to talk to. And it was just, man, there's like no pretense at all, no ego. And they were just talking about deadly premonition. And we were talking about David Lynch and twin peaks and other games we liked. And, it was just a really awesome conversation. I mean, Swery was so cool. I just, I mean, the dude oozes cool, and it was just the best thing. I mean, we took a really good picture together, and I was thrilled because I usually look like Quasimodo when I take a picture. And uh, it was just good. He gave me a big hug at the end of it, and I was like, man, this guy is dope, dude. He's like, he's like the real deal. Good stuff. So I'm going to be posting an article about what we talked about and also to help get the word out about his new project called the good life it's currently up on fig and for people who don't know fig is kind of like kickstarter sort of um it's not the same thing though it's a, a much more exclusive uh program where the people who run fig are very choosy about what they're supporting so not just anybody can get on fig it's like the people who run it have to like your game they have to like you uh, it's run by tim schaefer and a couple other people so they're industry veterans who know their stuff and they're curating what they're offering. So they did select Swery's game to be on their program. It's currently up now. And I think he's asking for like 1.5 million to get it off the ground. Uh, so please go over to fig.com and donate to his project. If you were a fan of deadly premonition or of spy fiction or of D four or any of those games that he worked on. So that was a good time. Definitely probably the high point of the show. Um, something that, weird about these shows though is like, I don't feel like I'm a famous person. I don't think that I am. I mean, I don't even think I'm internet famous. I mean, there's a lot of YouTubers who are way more famous than me. I'm just like some dude, right? Like, it's, you know, my face is on my profile. I am the editor of a site, which is, you know, 
we're not the biggest site by any means. Uh, so it's always kind of weird to me when people like recognize me and it happens, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. And it's weird when it happens most of the time, super friendly and awesome. Like I was talking to a developer for a game called shit. That's no, it's not called shit. (laughs) What is it called? It's called, I always mess it up. It's called, I wrote it down. Dead static drive. I believe this guy was from Australia. His name was Mike. And I went up to his his game. It looked really cool. It's one of the games that I wrote about at Game Critics. And it's about a game where you take a road trip across, like, this post-apocalyptic America. And there's Cthulhu monsters all over the place. It's kind of a procedural. Very cool. Right up my alley. Totally up my alley. Hitting all the buttons for me. So I go up to this guy's booth. And I start playing the game. And I'm like, oh, man, this game looks pretty cool. I'm like, hey, I'm... Uh, Brad from Game Critics. He's like, I know who you are. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, did I hate one of your games or what happened? And he's like, no. He's like, I read your review of Demon Souls back in 2009. And it was because I read your review that I got into Souls. And I've like platinum like every single game. And I love the entire series. And it's all because I read your review. Whoa. And I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, I, you know, I, I mean, I know people read my reviews, but it's like it's rare that I hear of somebody like loving one or like it had an effect on them, you know, like people usually read my review and then click to another page or they send me some hate mail and then they click to another page. (laughs) Uh, But to have somebody who's like, you know, that, that I had some kind of positive effect on his life was pretty awesome. So he was like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, he knew me and I was like, Oh, well, thanks very much for reading my review. And I'm glad that that, you know, uh, you know, meant something to you and that you enjoyed it. So thanks very much. And it was a big plus that I actually liked his game too. So I didn't have to lie about that because I thought it looked like a really good game. <laughs> uh, big plus. But on the downside, on the downside, um, I do sometimes get recognized for maybe not so good reasons. And that happened at this show also. Oh, my God. I'm dying to hear this story. So I'm not going to name names because I don't want to shame anybody or I don't want to start a beef or anything like, you know. But I, I went up to <laughs> went up to a booth and I was looking at this game. I'm like, oh, this game looks pretty cool. I'm going to check this out. And so I, I look at this game. I played a little bit. I think it's pretty good. I, I talked to the developer, real friendly guy, super friendly guy. He's talking, talking. We're just talking, blah, 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 blah. It's all going real good. And then I look over to the other side of his booth, and there's a game which I reviewed really poorly. And then I just freeze. I just, like, immediately freeze. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, is that your game over there, too? He's like, yep. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. And I go to, I go to like, I could leave. And he's like, wait a minute, what was your name? And I'm like, ah. And I go, yeah, Brad Gallery from Game Critics. And, like, the look on his face, <laughs> immediately he's like, oh, it's you. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. And he didn't say anything. He didn't get real rude or anything. But, like, he was joking and smiling and laughing with me as I was playing the game that I thought looked good. And the second that he realized it was me that reviewed his game, it was like somebody flipped a fucking switch. And it was just like, oh. Get out of here. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my, my God. Gosh. I made a very quick exit uh, from that booth, and I did not come back. Because that happens, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's like the, the risk you take when you use numbers on the review scale other than um, 8, 9, and 10. I mean, you know, somebody's got to get a bad score once in a while. And most people take it in stride. Most people are very cool. And this guy was cool. He didn't do anything, anything bad. It was just like the look on his face, right? Like, I could tell immediately what was going down so I, I beat it out of there but it happens you know I, I can't say that that seeing people who I gave a bad review to is good times it's not it's not really good times I try to avoid that whenever possible but it does uh it does happen um 
One other high point, I think, from the show was I went to go see Monster Hunter World, which, spoilers, I picked as my game of the show. I thought that, sh that game looked amazing. I mean, granted, I'm a little bit biased. I'm a huge Monster Hunter fan to begin with. I was really looking forward to this game, very excited about it. So uh, I think it looks just phenomenal. I'm not going to talk about it now, but when I went over to the Monster Hunter booth, I was talking to the PR people and they're like, oh, you know everything about this game already, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I already know. You got, I got no questions. I just want to play it, right? <laughs> And so they put me on the big screen, that is big screen in front of all the people that were in line. I mean, it was a huge screen. I mean, a couple, I don't know, 100, 200 people in line. And they're like, all right, we're going to put you on the hardest quest and just go for it. You're going to be oh fine. My God. And I'm like, all right, I will be fine. Let's do this. And so like, I sat down and I changed a couple settings on my character and I had never played it on the PS4 before. So the buttons were a little bit alien to me. But I'm like, I know this game. I can do this game. I, we're going to do it. And like, I jumped in. Uh, totally kicked that monster's ass. I won, like, no problem. <laughs> got the whole victory pose at the end, and I was, like, super psyched because I got to, like, do that in front of everybody who was standing there watching. It was a real proud moment for me. Uh, very happy. The PR people were happy. I was happy. Uh, especially happy I didn't embarrass myself. That was great. So definitely, definitely a high point. So I enjoyed that very much. Those are probably the, um, the highs and the lows. One other thing I want to mention real quick. I wasn't sure if I was going to mention this or not, but I feel like I probably should. So, um, did you did you catch any of the the Cuphead stuff that was going on today on Twitter? Oh God! I mean, that stuff started like a few days ago. So yeah, I've been as much as I don't want to see any of that stuff. I have been unfortunately seeing it. I I missed out on that because I was like at PAX, and so it was really hard to follow along with what was going on out. You know, like what people were saying about the show because I was at the show, and so I was kind of like in a little bubble, but. Um, today I kind of caught up with that and I was really appalled. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to give any credit to that fucking piece of shit, but there's this one really disgusting guy who's just like, ugh, awful human being, barely qualifies as a human being. And he was starting some shit because, um, Dean Takahashi, who is a really good guy, a real nice guy, uh, who's been in the industry for a long time, like something like 25 fucking years, like even longer than me. And I've been around since the fucking dinosaur age, um, he was playing Cuphead, which is, uh, for those who don't know, it's a game coming out on the Xbox One exclusive. It's the one that looks like a 19, like 1920s or 1930s old-timey cartoon, like a Max Fleischer cartoon, or maybe like a really, really, really early Disney cartoon. I mean, it looks amazing. Um, the graphics on it really genuinely look like an old, old-school cartoon. Music matches. I mean, it's really cool in that respect. Uh, but Dean Takahashi was playing this. He took a video of himself. He got stuck in the tutorial uh, because there's one part where you have to jump and do a dash to get over a block. He got stuck on that for like a couple minutes. And then when he was actually playing the game, he was not very good at it. And then this scumbag, who I'm not going to name, um, you know, started some shit on Twitter and on Reddit. And then it set off all these other fuckers who were saying, oh, you know, the whole if you don't know how to play games, you shouldn't be reviewing games. And, you know, you suck and get good and all this shit. And like, it was terrible. It was terrible. I feel really bad for Dean because he's a great guy. Uh, I mean, he's exactly the kind of person we need in this industry. And I mean, to be fair, Cuphead is a lot harder than people think it is. I know that a lot of people were talking shit, but you guys haven't played it. I was there. I fucking played it. That game is a lot harder than you think it is. Um, I got to that tutorial part that Dean got stuck at and I got stuck at that same part. I couldn't get past it. So I fucking skipped the tutorial because I couldn't figure out what was going on. And, you know, honestly, that's not a reflection of me or of Dean. It's a reflection on the developers, because if you are crafting a tutorial and a person with 20 years game experience can't get past your tutorial, 
you have done something wrong. It is not a commentary on the person playing the game. It is a commentary on your design skills. So let's turn that around real quick. And as far as the rest of the game goes, it's a really intense shooter. Like it looks like a cartoon. It looks really happy, but it is a really fast paced, brutal shooter. And if you're not playing on the easiest level, you are going to die a lot. So I don't want to hear any shit from anybody about Dean should be better and he's not qualified to fucking review games or anybody that says, I mean, I've had that same um, stuff leveled against me in the past too. Every time I play a game where I feel like it's too hard or it's not designed well enough or, you know, something doesn't click, immediately the get good crowd comes out or the who the fuck do you think you are crowd. And it's like enough of that. Okay, like enough of that. We don't need to be get good. People can be of all skill ranges. People can be of all stripes. Maybe that's not Dean's game. Maybe it's not my game. If that's your game, great. But like, you don't start talking shit about somebody because they couldn't complete one section of a game that it was his first time playing. You know, like that's just fucking stupid. So I felt like I needed to come to Dean's defense a little bit. And also just to give people a fucking heads up, Cuphead is not an easy game. It's really hard, especially if you are not on the easiest level. I, you know, people think they're going to just play that game and blow through it. No problem. And I'm sure some people will because, you know, some people are better than others. But I think the average person is going to be really surprised how hard that game is. And also that tutorial was bullshit. <laughs> so anyway, I felt really bad for Dean. I was really pissed off and disgusted with that person who started this shit. And uh, I just felt like I wanted to say something. So that that was something I had to get off my chest. There we go. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Um, but that was kind of packs in a nutshell. I mean, it's four days. It's really exhausting. You're constantly in a sea of people. It's really loud. Lots of bright lights. You're eating bad food. Everything's really expensive. <laughs> and it's just really, really, really exhausting. But I do enjoy it. I got to meet a lot of cool people. Um, one thing interesting also was Poland is becoming a really strong force in games development. Um, I think maybe the door got busted open a couple of years ago with stuff like um, Two Worlds or um, Divinity. But... Um, I think Witcher really, really kicked that door even wider open. People really started taking, uh, pay attention to Poland. And now, I mean, when it packs, like it seemed like every other developer was from Poland and they were, <laughs> they were really nice guys. I mean, they had some really good games. They've got some great skills. These guys are really a place to watch out for. I mean, I know that we've been really focused on Japan for many years, but I feel like they're kind of waning a little bit. I think America is getting a little bit stale. Uh, Poland is seeming like a really strong, uh, really strong place for inspiration and, uh, fresh game talent so uh if you're watching the scene definitely check out poland those guys got it going on right now and there was a lot of them too they were out in force so yeah check them out um i think i spotlighted at least two or three polish games in my list and i'm very interested to see more from those guys so that was an interesting thing i didn't expect uh large representation from uh sweden too i think i saw more than a couple people from sweden so that's nice to get some of those guys from over there and they're always just really friendly. I, I felt like this need to tell everybody that I hate Donald Trump whenever I met them and they weren't from this country. Like, hey, FYI, I don't support Trump. We're not all like that. Please don't think that about America. So, but they're good people. And overall, a good show. I mean, not the best show. I didn't come away with, um, you know, anything that was really, really mind-blowing. But, you know, a lot of solid games, a lot of cool indie games, and a lot of Polish games that were very good. So, overall, pretty good time, man. Any, any questions or anything that you're wondering about or anything uh, I forgot to leave out? Um, I don't think so. I mean, PAX is not really, it's not really known for like, like big game reveals. It's just kind of like the big consumer grade show that everybody like shows off what they're working on and shows off stuff. Um, so, I mean, I think I'd probably caught up with just about as much news as I could expect, uh, without 
uh, except for everything that you have shared on the show. So uh, I don't think I have any questions. Yeah, well, it's a good show. I definitely recommend it if you are in the area. There's also a pretty big um, board game component to it. Um, people don't really talk about that too much, but uh, I spent a large part of the fourth day uh, with my family. They came along for the last day of the show. We played a lot of board games. Um, people there are very friendly. They'll just sit down with you and just like walk you through a game, teach you how to play, and uh, you know hold you by the hand in a good way. So that was a really good time too. So definitely be aware that there's board games. Um, they even had like a little escape room set up, which I thought was kind of neat. I didn't try it, but the line was like ridiculous for it. So, <laughs> uh, but that was really neat too. Um, the only bummer thing I think was that. Uh, I did not get to see barely any of Nintendo's stuff. Um, they did not let press jump the line at their booth, which I thought was really shitty because most people do at PAX. And I wanted to go see Odyssey, but they were like, nope, you got to get in line like everybody else. And the line was like literally like three hours long. Like I'm not going to stand in three hours to play Odyssey for 10 minutes. Um, so that was kind of a bummer. I wanted to see that. I didn't get to see that. Otherwise, everything that they were showing was on a big screen TV, and I felt fine watching that from 15 feet away and not standing in that line. But it would have been nice to play some of those things, um, but it just wasn't worth, like, the percentage of my lifespan that I would have to give up in order to play those. <laughs> so other than that, good show. Really enjoyed it. And uh, please go check out my coverage at GameCritics.com. As of right now, it's on the front page. You should find it real easily. It'll be on the blog page also. And uh, go take a look at those games. A lot of really promising stuff. And a lot of that stuff is coming out very soon. I think a couple of them coming out this month. And a couple more coming out before the end of the year. So it's not like these things are really, really far away. They're coming up really soon. So check them out. Good stuff. Available soon. Excellent. Is that all you have to report on for PAX? I think I am good. I think I am good. And I, to be honest with you, I kind of want to stop talking about PAX for a while. I'm like, <laughs> after four days, I am, I am <laughs> PAXed out i am done i am done so yeah but that's good i, I really enjoy it i will be back next year we'll be talking about it next year i will i will pick some more games next year and we'll do this whole thing again excellent excellent well i don't know about you brad but i think it's time to sign off on the show i i i am with you let's sign off <laughs> let's call it a night i gotta get my ass to bed all right well everybody that's gonna bring us to the end of our games talk and the end of our of our packs talk before we go, we'd like to remind everybody that you can send us any comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, uh, any questions, any show topics you'd like for us to discuss, anything of that nature. Um, you can send it to us via email. So videogamespodcast at gmail.com is our email. We are also on Twitter as a collective show, at SoVideoGames over there. And if you really want to, you can reach us individually on Twitter. Brad, would you like to give out your Twitter handle? Sure, it's just my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's, not a single O in my name. <laughs> and mine is also my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And if you haven't yet, hop on over there and watch my cat climb into my lap, the viral video sensation of last week. It's still there waiting for you to watch it. Um, but that, uh, that brings us to the end of episode 47 of the So Video Games podcast. We'll be back next week. Oh, also, we'll be back on Sunday, by the way. This is a sort of a midweek show, but we will be back Sunday. We're not skipping any shows. So we'll be back on Sunday with episode 48. But in the meantime, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. 